we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. Welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker. Yes, back up on YouTube and on my homepage. You're here listening to Annie, the Radio Chickadee, and as well as my co-host Curtis C.S. Bennett here on Southern Sense. Just go to the name of our show, put a hash, not a hash, a dash in the middle. (laughs) southern-sense.com and we are yes we are back up on our main show page i've got that up and working thank heaven and welcome back curtis after your little bit of a vacation and we got ourselves a crazy time ahead i'm telling you between um medical appointments and book signings and speaking engagements it's, it's a busy hectic schedule um i look forward to it and um every day I, I think of the, the times I would be deployed when I was in the Navy, and we'd be like on a six or seven month cruise. Usually, the, it'd be the last month of the cruise when we start a countdown, and I'm like that with this Biden administration. You know, I'm doing a countdown every day. I wake up to that's one less day I got to put up with this guy until he's outed. Oh man. Uh, but we've got ourselves a silly season coming up with the election, whether or not now the Democrats are going to have a debate or oh, yeah. not, or they're going to let uh, Biden <laughs> campaign from uh, the basement. <laughs> the bunker. Yeah. So, yeah, from the bunker. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. And I'm trying to get it broadcasted, uh, the page on Facebook, and Facebook has now changed some of their stuff and it's preventing me from posting it into some of the other pages. This is crazy. 
Every time you turn around, they change something. They're squeezing us. Yeah, yeah, they are. All right, well, well, we've got it up there on Facebook. It is live up on YouTube, so people can watch over there. And it is up on our homepage. And, yes, we are. I am looking at myself on the homepage, Southern Sense. So it's up around everywhere. Yes, we got ourselves rocking and rolling here today, guys. Listen, we've got ourselves. Today is Cinco de Mayo. Thank you, Doug, for mentioning it. Uh, yesterday was the National Prayer Day. And we're going to be talking to your friend, uh, Benicio, uh, about that as well as education. But we've got ourselves starting off the show with Jeff Bearmant. He is the founder of Tusk, the new um, uh, homepage that you can start. It works just like uh, DuckDuckGo or Chrome or anything like that, but it's tailored mm-hmm. for you and me, uh, those of us in the conservative system. Uh, and you can tailor where you get your news from so you can actually filter out all the leftist BS. Uh, so t- we're going to have Jeff on there. It's going to be followed by Mike Kacharski of JKC, JKC Trucking. Say that three times fast. Uh, he's going to be talking about our economy slowdown and what is going on there. Then you have your friend, Pastor Barton. And we're going to finish up with the surprise guest. Got him very, very last minute. His name is James D. Eugenio. James D. Eugenio. He is the screenwriter for um, uh, Oliver Stone. And his last film that they just came out just last year oh, actually two years ago, I believe, is JFK Re- Revisited. And I rewatched the film last night, and it is absolutely awesome. It opens up a lot of questions about JFK and who knew what, where, when, how, and why. And it actually leaves you with a lot more questions than answers, but it goes to show just how bad our deep state is in our government. And it's an excellent, excellent film, and we'll be talking to him about all of this stuff. So we got a lot to talk about and a lot to do. And I'm already losing my voice here, Curtis. <laughs> well, I'm your backup. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I, I, st- I stopped trusting government after the K, JFK and um, RFK and MLK assassinations and Watergate, just like was the, the cream on the, on the top of the cake. I stopped trusting government mm. after that. Oh. Well, I think a lot of people stopped trusting him from the day the nation was born. But, hey, that aside, like I said, we do have a lot to talk about. And let me see if I can find my dedication. Things got switched around here a little bit, so just bear with me. All right, there we go. All right, and I hope I don't lose my voice. Wow, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. But those that listen to our show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to police officer Garrett Crumbly of the Huntsville Police Department in Alabama. His end of watch was Tuesday, March 28th of 2023. And this is from the Officer Down Memorial page. And it reads, Police Officer Garrett Crumbly was shot and killed while responding to shots fired at the 4600 block of Governor's House Drive at 4.45 p.m. A female called 911 and reported that she had been shot. When Officer Crumbie and another officer responded, they were ambushed by the subject. Both officers were transported to Huntsville Hospital where Officer Crumbie succumbed to his wounds. 
The other officer remained in critical condition. The subject was taken into custody and charged with capital murder of a law enforcement officer. Officer Crumby had served with the Huntsville Police Department for three years and previously served with the Tuscaloosa Police Department for eight years. He is survived by his wife, mother, father, and three sisters. He was only 36 years old. And this is from WAFF, from their staff. And they write, Many people are mourning across Alabama after Officer Garrett Crumbly was shot and killed in the line of duty. He's being remembered across Tennessee Valley with blue lights shining in his honor. Blue lights lit up the Saturn V rocket with billboards that read, Remember Officer Garrett Crumbly on line I-565. Across social media, family, colleagues, and loved ones shared their favorite memories of Officer Crumbly. On Facebook, one of Officer Crumbly's three sisters was devastated and wrote a heartfelt post about her brother. She wrote, My brother was a hero. He was loved by everyone. She says he was a dedicated officer. She writes, My brother believed that being a police officer meant that anyone in their darkest moments had someone to call, regardless of any race, age, creed, gender, tax bracket, or political affiliation. He would answer that call. Madison County Sheriff's Office Office Representative Brent Patterson agrees. You know, this is a calling, explains Patterson. This career is not something that you wake up one day and go, I think I want to be a police officer, or I want to be a law enforcement officer. This is more along the lines of a calling that we're meant to do. This was his calling, and he gave the ultimate sacrifice for his community. Officer Crumbly joined the Tuscaloosa Police Department about a decade ago and served for seven years before moving to Huntsville. He was an officer with the Huntsville Police Department for three years and wanted to rise in the ranks. He aspired to be an investigator with the Financial Crime Unit, according to his obituary. His colleagues said he was a quiet but kind man and well-known for his positive and generous spirit. His obituary read, It is with deep sadness that family and Huntsville Police Department announces the death of Officer Garrett Coulter. Crumbly, who passed away Tuesday, March 28th, in the line of duty. Garrett was born in Starksville, Mississippi, on August 4th, 1986, to William R. Crumbly and Janet Sherman, the only son and oldest of four children. Garrett loved his family and never met a stranger. Raised in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Garrett was a 2004 graduate of Hillcrest High School. He loved spending time outdoors and enjoyed hobbies such as hiking, kayaking, and storm spotting. Garrett and his wife shared two dogs and two cats that he adored greatly. He joined the HPD in August of 2020 after serving with the Tuscaloosa Police Department for nearly seven years as a patrol and field training officer. He worked for HPD's West Precinct and was known by fellow officers for his positive attitude and willingness to learn. In June of 2022, 
Garrett joined HPD's bike unit, combining his love for the outdoors and desire to get more involved with the community. Remembered by his HPD squad as the Sweet Tooth Guy, Garrett was known to show up with show up at roll call with a honey bun, Subway sandwich, and both an energy drink and a coffee in hand. A caregiver in both his professional and personal life, Garrett is remembered for his heart, for his service. In 2022, he and two other officers answered a call involving a man who was about to push his wheelchair filled with groceries down a busy road before a big storm. Garrett and his fellow officers loaded the wheelchair and groceries in their patrol cars and drove the man home, getting all of the groceries inside just before the heavy rain began. Garrett understood his job was, wasn't just about responding to crimes. It was also about helping others and making connections with the people he served. Later in 2022, he took extended work leave to care for a family member. His squad supported him during this time by donating money to help ease the financial burden of being away from work. He aspired to become an HPD investigator with hopes of joining the department's financial crime unit during his career. Although not outspoken, he was revered for his kindness and positive spirit in helping others. His nature spoke louder than words could ever describe. Garrett was a cheerleader among his peers always giving 110% to everything he did. He was everyone's favorite brother, best friend, and son. No matter what circumstances he faced at work or in his personal life, Garrett found ways to lift up those around him. With the mind for service, Garrett was humble about his actions that went above and beyond the expectations for a police officer. To Garrett, being a public service, was never about being on or off duty. It was just a part of life. In Garrett's most recent employee evaluation, one of his supervisors described him best. Although Garrett Crumley's tenure with HPD is young, his heart is big and his drive is pure. In policing, officers often tell others they got their sticks, meaning they would always be there. Garrett represented that statement by showing up even when not called to respond. Garrett left a lasting impression on both Huntsville and Tuscaloosa police and their communities. He is survived by his wife, Taylor Campbell Crumbly, his father, William R. Crumbly, and mother, Janet Sherman, his grandparents, James and Sammy Sherman, his sisters, Jennifer, Courtney, Casey, and nieces and nephews. And finally, from WBRE by Josh Gaunt. And he writes, We're hearing from the family of slain Huntsville police officer Garrett Crumbly. They tell us he lived a life of service. They also tell us the system failed their brother. He understood what duty meant, and that resonated even from a very early age. He knew he was destined for public service. Casey Crumbly Wright said, the grief of losing their brother is palatable for Officer Garrett Crumbly's sisters. Crumbly was shot and killed in the line of duty in Huntsville after responding to shots fired that injured a woman. Everyone is grieving. It's just unreal to lose someone, 
that was such an important person to so many people, Crumbly said. There are not enough words to say how much we miss him already and how much we will miss him the rest of our lives, Courtney said. The Crumbly family is now turning their grief into action. They recently wrote an op-ed advocating against the repeated release of violent offenders. Court records show the man accused of killing Crumbly was arrested last year after a shooting in downtown Huntsville that injured two people. He was let out on bond. The Crumblies believe the system failed their brother. We expect our court systems to work for us. We don't feel at the current moment it is working for us, that they are derelict in their duty, Casey said. She adds her brother expressed concerns about violent offenders being released after Tuscaloosa police officer Jornel Cousset was gunned down in the line of duty in 2019. When Officer Cousset passed due to a similar situation, it absolutely rocked him to his core. When somebody like this happens, when something like this happens, it rocks the entire law enforcement community because they all feel the same way. They are all frustrated. At any given moment, it could be them, Casey added. The two sisters are on a mission and pledging to be a voice to protect those who serve. A lot of times these loopholes aren't found until tragedies like this happen. Another hope is that we can figure out the loopholes before these tragedies happen and close them, she added. That will help us heal, I think. It will make us sure he didn't die in vain, that other families in blue don't have to go through what we are going through. And if we can do that for just one family, I will consider that. A success, Casey added. The Crumbly family wants to thank the community for all of their support, saying thank you for backing the blue and sharing in our grief as we lay our beloved Batman to rest. Here is the op-ed written by the Crumbly family. On Tuesday, March 28th, Huntsville Officer Garrett Coltler Crumbly watch had ended. The worst day of our lives. He was only 36 years old. A bright light has been extinguished, setting off waves of intense grief we will endure for a long time to come. Garrett was an indispensable part of our family, woven into nearly every aspect of our lives. He's our jokester, our protector, and our example of what it is to be a good citizen. We were so proud of him and always will be. We know this is a wound that will never heal, that things will just be different. There will be always an empty chair at our table. We couldn't have gotten through this first week without the incredible support of so many people across the law enforcement community. The people he adored serving and protecting, our unwavering network of friends, and our extended family. As part of our healing process, We want to ensure that the Garrett legacy will endure through work we do together as a family. We will dedicate our collective energy to advocating against the repeated release of violent offenders into the streets. It is a serious nationwide problem and one which we know directly contributed to Garrett's untimely death. Garrett's killer had been arrested just last year for a shooting involving two victims in Huntsville, and yet, 
he was freed on an outrageously low bond. Lenient sentences and low bonds are a terrible dereliction of duty of our court system, an unnecessary endangerment, endangerment to law enforcement and innocent communities. Garrett would still be here with us if the perpetrator had been punished properly the first time. The system failed him. To honor Garrett, we pledge to be a voice whenever possible to protect our Blue family across the nation from going through what we have had to endure. We ask for the continued prayers for Officer Albert Moran and family as he recovers both in body and mind. We also ask for the prayers for the female victim and the children Garrett helped to protect that day. Please also pray for Garrett's squad as they grieve the loss of a brother in blue. To everyone who stood in solidarity as we passed by. To the hundreds of people who came to the visitation, the stadiums, arenas, and his beloved Saturn V rocket that were all bathed in blue tribute lights. The billboards, those who set up the memorial on bridges, Anyone and everyone who shared the story of your time with Garrett created signs, waved flags, and saluted him from your cars as the procession passed. Thank you. We saw you. We heard you. And we appreciate you. Thank you for backing the blue and sharing our grief as we laid our beloved Batman to rest. Today's show is dedicated to Officer Garrett Crumbly. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as our first responders. Be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this great nation through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to each and every one of them this song, Amazing Grace. How sweet it is. May God bless each and every one.
Okay, and we're back. You're here listening to Something Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, and all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show. Put a dash in the middle of Southern com. I'm your hostess with the least most just the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my debonair and oh-so-absent co-host lately, Curtis C.S. <laughs> Bennett. <laughs> I guess I'll have to take the, the status of guest co-host. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to welcome everyone that is uh, listening in on our chat room here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. And I'm just taking a look over to, yes, we are up live, uh, very happily up on uh, YouTube and Facebook and also up on Southern Sense. Yes, we are back up on our homepage again. Did it. I got it going again. So, James, if you're listening, pop on over to Southern Sense. I got it up and running. So you can join us over there if you like. If you don't want to turn around and use your smart device to go into your browser and try to go through Blog Talk Radio or SHR Media or YouTube or Facebook, just key in into your browser, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, and you can watch us and listen to us over there. And that said... <clears throat> we have a lot to talk about here, Curtis, as we wait for our first guest to call in rather patiently. <clears throat> yeah, I was um, in a supermarket the other day, and I saw one of the gossip papers, Inquirer, and, I mean, they were all over the Fox News situation. I mean, you would have thought Fox News was <clears throat> imploding, you know, but I know they have a lot of issues going on right now, but I'm telling you, it seems like the left is hopping all over that. Well, you know, there's someone inside of Fox News, and um, I was watching Newsmax last night, and uh, Megyn Kelly obviously still has her fingers on the pulse of what's going on inside of Fox News. you got to remember, she sued them uh, and won when she got fired from them. And uh, the attorney that Carlson, Tucker Carlson has is Megyn Kelly's attorney. So, you know, he's going to come out on top of this. But she's got a pulse on there, and she said – that Fox News is falling so fast. They are bobbing out so fast. They're trying anything and everything to do a smear campaign against Tucker Carlson. Now, if you watched any of the videos that uh, Fox has been releasing, thinking they're going to smear Tucker Carlson, they're hysterical. They are absolutely funny. They actually show the human side of Tucker Carlson. So they think they're putting something out there that's going to make them look bad. They're actually making him look, look more human and funny, funnier than we knew him to be on air as. So wow. I mean, it, it's backfiring on them huge, huge, I mean, a huge time backfiring. They had one clip where this girl is doing his makeup. And he's got the, you know, the, the towels around his neck to prevent the uh, makeup from getting on his clothing and everything. And he's chatting with the girl. And the girl had mentioned something about you know, meeting some friends over in the ladies' room or whatever. I forget how the conversation started. So he's like asking, well, what goes on in the women's bathroom? You know, what, what are you guys doing there? Do you what, have like pillow fights or something? He's clowning around. You know you don't have pillow fights in a bathroom, really? Come on. But he was clowning around. He was at ease with her, and he put her at ease, which goes to show the human side of Tucker Carlson. And then he, they showed another clip. But they did an AI voiceover to make it sound like he was saying something bad. 
But if you watch Tucker Carlson, you know his sarcasm. And you know that whatever words they were trying to make sound like he was serious was actually Tucker Carlson's sarcasm. And I'm telling you, clip after clip after clip they put out there, it's just backfiring on Fox News. And it's backfiring <clears throat> big time. My understanding is there was one woman who accused him of inappropriate behavior or something like that. I'm not sure. but She – no, no, she, she – Accused him of harassment. Yeah. Number one, she never physically met him. He was broadcasting out of his home in Florida. So any conversation mm-hmm. they may have had would have been via some form of telecommunication. She never physically met him. She was never in his physical presence. So how could he harass someone that you've never met face to face? Tell me that. Tell me how you can do that. I mean, I she was on the show briefly, and she worked on it very, very briefly and moved on. She wasn't harmed by it. She didn't lose her job or anything. And it came up to be a bunch of nothing. Absolutely nothing. They put the complaint out there to see if it would stick, and it didn't. And they tried to use that complaint as the reason why they fired him. The reason why they fired him, and I said the moment he was exposing the January 6th tapes, the moment he started exposing the truth, the truth about the January 6th, what was going on there, about the officers opening up the barriers and, and escorting people into the rotunda, rotunda and onto the floor of the house, they were escorted by the officers. The officers stood and took pictures with these people, posed. So how can you say that you're trespassing when you were escorted by law enforcement into the facilities? And that's what Tucker Carlson was exposing. He was exposing the truth of what actually happened that day. And the moment he did it, I looked at, at my fiance and I said, that's it. They're going to blow him out of the water. He's going to get fired because of that. The left is going to go after him tooth and nail. and I'm going to force him off the air. And sure as shit, that's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. What what I don't understand is is this these this lawsuit that went against Fox. How in the world was the left able to prove that um, Tucker and and Maria that they they had no grounds for saying that um, the election was a fraud? I mean, there's plenty of evidence out there. The Nesta Susan well, put out tons of evidence. First, first off. Uh, First off, these are opinion shows. These are talking heads. They talk opinion. They are not news broadcasters. They are not quoting facts off of a news broadcasting sheet. They are talking heads, and their opinion is what they are expressing. And under the First Amendment, you have the right to your opinion. Whether you agree with it or not, it is your opinion, and I will defend to the death the right for you to say the most dumbest thing possible. But it is your First Amendment right to be as stupid as you want, to express any opinion you want, or to be as intelligent as you want. I will defend your First Amendment right, and Fox News did not defend their First Amendment rights. Well, Curtis is bringing our guest in. That's my rant for right now. And actually, I honestly feel Fox News should never have capitulated. They should have let it go to trial and let it be proven that the opinion pieces by Judge Janine, by Tucker Carlson, by any other member of the opinion pieces on Fox News was exactly that personal opinion 
and all they had to do was put a disclaimer. It's not the opinion of the broadcasting station. It's the opinion of the the news opinion personnel. Boom. But that, that's, right. that's not what they did. And perfect lead-in to our guest. Welcome back onto the show, Jeff Berman, the founder of Tusk, which I have on my phone and on my, my computer browsers. So welcome, Jeff. How are you today? Thanks, and I'll start with a yay. Thank you. <laughs> yay? That <laughs> I have you on my phone and, and browsers? Yeah, yes, of course. Yes, thank you. Of course. Well, it's I, it's, uh, it's an honor. Well, I've got three computers. I use two for the radio show and one I play around with. So it's on all of them. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, we'll count you as as three different people then. I'm just kidding. Thank <laughs> you so much. Right hey, listen, I've got a question for you. Because just as I was doing my notes, I hear you have a new chat bot. Uh, chat bot. And I was trying to figure it out, and I was not doing too successful last night. Um, it's called the Gipper. Am I looking at the correct thing? Yes. And there's a, it's a red box. It's, if, uh, if you're on desktop, it's a little circuitous because we're still we're about to put out a new – a new edition, and when we do that, it will be front and center. But otherwise, you have to go in the search. Now, if you're on mobile, it will be front and center on the mobile phone. You'll see it says Gipper. It's a big red button. You can't miss it. It says Gipper AI. And, yes, what we've gone and done, uh, once again, um, the censorship issue is always an issue for me. Somebody said to me today, well, that's kind of a scam because you, you use the chat. But that's the chat box that they – they they allow you to change the the voice and the change to go find the the information that you want to you want to present to your clients and you can have any voice you want. So for instance, if I want this to have the pirate voice, you could turn it into you know a pirate I a matey you know type of thing. Uh, we chose uh, Ronald Reagan uh, because we think you know what a great president he was and. Um, a stellar person in, in general. Uh, so I, this took me, and sometimes it took me two months to figure out what I wanted to name. Like Tusk took two months to figure out we should name it Tusk. The Gipper took all of 10 seconds for me to go up. Oh, I know what to name this is after a very, very conservative and one of my favorite presidents of all time. Yeah. Well, right now I've got you up on my iPhone, right? And I, I cannot seem to find the chat on there. You said it should be up on the front page. Yeah, maybe uh, you don't have the latest. You know, it, it could very well be that um, you haven't. You know, this it, it only pops up if you if you download the most current editions uh, because this was just added and it's it's sometimes that's what happens. So it should be on in a mobile. You may have to download. You may have to go back in the store and download the latest and greatest, and then you will definitely have the Gipper in front of you. And it's very fun. Um, not only fun, but I would say it's very safe because the Gipper will never recommend you go do something crazy or stupid. And it's built like that so that, you know, I, I don't worry so much about the guardrails at this point. I, I worry in the long run about guardrails and hope that, you know, people behave themselves. And, of course, you're going to have to put some guardrails up because, you know, people will try and use this to, to do nefarious things so you know well, I, I, human mankind 
Well, Jeff, I'm actually putting my cell phone up in front of the camera so people that are watching on the video on YouTube, Facebook, and on my homepage can see that, yes, the Gipper is up on the homepage. If you do, and here I just learned this while you were talking, if you do have Tusk, the old version, installed, just go up to the three dots on top, click down to About, and then just Update. Just do the update see, on no, that see. one. It automatically see, you know puts you than into it. the new browser. Within yeah, seconds, see, you know the new browser was up. <laughs> see, I didn't know that. I'm the, I'm the CEO. I had no idea that it was that easy. I was going to tell you go back to the store and re-download it. No, no, no. See, I, I've got it. I'm just showing Gipper is up on my homepage on my phone. Come and, come and take come over for, you? for me, would you? <laughs> yeah, just come and take over for me. <laughs> I love it. See, come and come and you, you be you. the CEO. <laughs> I want to go to never Palm know, just see nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I don't want to deal with the I ninety five going up and down there to Palm Springs. I know that area too well. Bumper traffic. No, thank you. <laughs> no, that's Palm oh, Beach. Man. Palm Beach. We're we're Palm Springs, which is the desert. I mean, you want to talk about places that oh, get oh, hot. Oh, you're California. I'm sorry, yeah, you're California. California. So Palm Desert, you know, it's a Palm, Palm Springs. It's a, today, I think it's 100 degrees. Maybe it's cooler today. But as my wife pointed out when I said, well, let's go to Palm Springs, she said, you know, it's going to be 100 degrees. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you have to deal with Gavin Newsom. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you mean, you mean Gavin Gruesome. Yeah, gruesome Newsome, as I call him. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 we should hope that, you know, Biden, who obviously is running again, for what reason, I guess empty suits are okay, but um, um, but you know, it might be worse to having somebody like Newsom, who's a little bit dynamic, at least he can speak, but, but the results would be just as horrible as they are in California today. You know that California... Uh, there are more people moving out of California than moving into California these days. Oh, yeah, that I know. That I know. And yeah. actually, the last time I was in California, i got to think about how long ago that was. Oh, my goodness. It had to have been the 1980s. <laughs> Boy, that dated me. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. You know, we we used to love to go to San Francisco, my wife and I. And even prior to that, when I was in college, I went to school in Southern California. To love to go to San Francisco no longer. It is such a mess no. there. It is such an ugly, it's become such an ugly city. It's, it's very sad because it is a beautiful place, and it's very sad to see what happened to it. Yeah, it is, unfortunately. And listen, before you came on air, I was starting to do a rant about free speech, First Amendment rights, and we were talking about Tucker Carlson and Fox News and the debacle going on over there. And my first sheet up here on the page to talk to you about was the J6 uh, trials and what is going on with that. And I had predicted the second Tucker Carlson started playing the videotapes of what actually happened on January 6th on the Capitol grounds, and the officers escorting people through the barricades into the rotunda and onto the floor, taking pictures with them. I said, the second Tucker Carlson did that, they're going to find a reason to yank him off the air. And I'm saying that he got yanked off because of January 6th, what he was exposing, not anything else. That's my opinion. Yeah, what is your well, opinion I, on this? I, I actually don't have one. I did hear something absolutely ridiculous. My wife had left on, she watches some TV show, and she had left on Channel 7, one of the liberal progressives. And they outrightly claimed that, that, that Tucker Carlson's a racist. 
And I have that's the reason he got booted from uh, from Fox, according to ABC. And I was outraged because I, you know, I've watched Tucker like you for many years, and I've, I've never seen him to be a white supremacist or that far to the right. He had some, you know, he and I probably disagreed on Ukraine, but otherwise, I don't believe Tucker is a racist in any way. So. I don't know about the January 6th. It could very well be. I actually think this was about the election results. And, you know, this cost Fox seven, $800 million when, when they got into a fight with uh, the election company. Uh, and I think my guess is that's the reason he got canned was for that reason and not January 6th. But I, I could be wrong. Well, when you you look at it, like BlackRock has owns about fifteen percent of of uh, 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 oh good lord brain fart of of Fox. Um, then you look at the people that are in control of Dominion, and you look at the powerhouses that fall in there, the people that are behind both Fox News yeah. and Dominion. And you're talking about the Murdoch family, which is a bunch of progressive liberals. I mean, why Roger Ailes sold out to them, the day he did that, he destroyed Fox News. It never was ever the same again. So you have a family running a business that they despise. What what else would they do but just try to conform it into their own uh, persona? I'm sorry, another MSNBC, another CNN, we don't need. Their ratings are going through the floor. So why would you take a moneymaker – well, that's because it's, it offends their liberal sensibilities, their wokeness. So yeah. the whole point that's was, was to be. destroy yeah. Fox News. What better way then is in the public forum, tear it down in front of everyone's eyes and then rebuild it up in their own image. And I think that's the whole point of the whole thing. I don't think there was any true – I don't think there was any true grounds to Dominion's claims. I think they simply capitulated to give an excuse on why to destroy Fox, get rid of their best hosts, and bring in anyone in their, like I said, their own image. Yeah, it could very well be. It's a, it's an interesting idea and theory, and uh, it's a shame. I think you know Tucker served a purpose, and he, and you know he equally. What I loved about Tucker is if the Republicans or the conservatives did something wrong. He went after them too. I mean, no one was yeah. subject to, right to to unwanted scrutiny. You were you were scrutinized by him, and you know, did he make a mistake? Was that? And I can't believe that they that they let him go over what he said about the the election fraud and so on and so forth. But you know, this is they own the company and they have the freedom to do what they want. And I hope they don't destroy it because you know, as you said their ratings will plummet. And, and unfortunately, or at this point, there isn't anybody who I would say is as good as they are, Foxes. And so they're safe for now, but they continue to make these kinds of changes and kick conservatives off, the, you know, like the Hannity's. And so they have a real problem. Yeah, yeah. And I hear that Judge Jeanine is on the chopping block too. But, I, uh, I can't wait to get her back. I can't wait to get her back on the show because when you get Judge Janine and I together, forget about it. You got two New Yorkers. One is the judge, the other one's the cop. Forget about it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I don't want to be arrested by either of you two, that's for sure. 
Oh, man. But, you know, we're also, you know, looking at this, they got the Proud Boys. They now have declared three of them uh, for seditious conspiracy convictions. And I, they're really digging the bottom of the barrel to find any way in which to shut up the right. And I, I, since the Civil War, I don't think anyone has ever been convicted of seditious conspiracy. Since the Civil War. Yeah. It seems like, well, remember, part of what the left has to do at this point, they don't have much to talk about. They really don't. I mean, the economy is terrible. Their policies on energy are horrible. They're, uh, my issue with energy, just so you know, is when you start hiking the gas rates on people, it's harming them. I don't care about the electric cars. I mean, I, I think in good time. Electric cars are not a bad idea. I have one. I don't really like the sitting around waiting, but it's, you know, better for the, the climate in some ways. But the, the, the thing of throwing people out of their cars because they can't afford to drive their cars, that's just insanity. And it's, it, it kind of shows the left, as I started to say, they don't have a lot to hang their hat on. So anything they can say is seditious or, you know, we're holding people, we're still talking about January 6th. I mean, what everybody should be talking about is the fifty, the fifty-one people who 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 wrote that phony or signed on to that phony Biden laptop story. Sedition, in my opinion, and it's an election interference. Oh, that that it is. But heaven forbid you mention Hunter Biden, and yet we hear there is a whistleblower that has come forward to Grassley and Comer with a ton of evidence when it was then Vice President Biden. And they catch him with his fingers directly in the cookie jar. Do we finally see the end of the Biden dynasty here in the White House, or is this going to be another sweep it under the rug? Yeah, I I believe it's going to be another swept under the rug issue. And that, you know, it's it's very sad uh, in America when you can go and impeach uh, President Trump for things that he didn't do wrong. I mean, he, he didn't do anything with Russia. He certainly didn't have a, a, a bad conversation with the Ukrainian president back then. Uh, and they could impeach him. And luckily, you know, there were a couple of conservatives that said, uh, no, I'm not voting for this. And they could have. Uh, but the thing with, with Biden, I don't believe, you know, if you, change, you return a channel, any other channel but Fox News, you are, and a couple of others, you know, a couple of other conservatives, you don't hear a word, not one word about the Biden laptop and the fact that they changed the election, they changed the election outcome. I mean, there you have a president on stage lying to the American people in a debate, and and it goes unnoticed by MSNBC, ABC News, and the rest of them. It's they're in the they're in the tank for this for the Democrats. We need to get used to it. It's not going to change. They're not going to eventually say it's fair. And I don't believe they'll ever impeach this President Biden. No, I don't. You've got to get an impeachment I, in, 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 the, in the Senate. You're never going to get there. The Democrats will just, they'll just look the other way. They just did what, what's his name did the other day, the guy from uh, Adam Schiff. He was the guy who said something like, oh, oh, well, the, you know, the Republicans have been after him for five years. This is going nowhere. That's their attitude. Oh, yeah, and we've been after Trump for, you know, uh, Russia, Russia, Russia. What, now going almost 10 years? Oh, come on, give me a break. 
and you're, you're, yeah. you're impeaching Trump, not once but twice, uh, but you, you will not admit that you've got a problem here in the White House with President Biden and his creepy son. Uh, yeah, that's very, let's not get very into his wife either. Yeah, you know what yeah, the telltale the for me was? The telltale for me was the balloon. The blue flow <laughs> floated over the United States. It could have been shot down early on uh, when it was in the Pacific Ocean. We knew what it was, and we didn't do that. And we let it float. I mean, to me, that's an impeachable offense, if you ask me. I mean, he's the, he's the commander-in-chief. That should have never flown over the United States. Yes, it goes by. The thing that bothers me the most is that there's no action taken against these people. You know, I saw the Democrats putting some of our people in jail, some conservatives in jail, that I feel like Biden and, and President Biden have done worse, and there's no repercussions to them. But that's no, because no one none. dreamed that the DOJ so, – so when the founders you know, put America together, they didn't think about the, the arm of the DOJ being politically um, – whatever you are, commandeered. And so it's easy now to to block anything because the DOJ just never takes any action. <laughs> what did, no, the DOJ is only there to harass conservatives and anyone named Trump. No, that, that's yes. their sole purpose. That is their sole purpose. Yes. Don't worry, because we're going to have, uh, 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 what's his name, um, Oliver Stone's right. screenwriter, uh, James D. D. Eugenio, at the end of the show, talking about JFK conspiracy. Wait until we get into conspiracies there. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, that would be, be very interesting. But, but, you know, but I guess my point is that that the, the DOJ doesn't seem – I mean, the guy who should be impeached is, is uh, the – I can't remember his name – the, the – uh, the head of the DOJ. He, he this is Garland. untenable, right? Yeah, Garland. yeah, Mary Garland. This, this is untenable. Yeah, this is untenable. That there's no action taken. They're going to try and I'm sure they'll hide that document or whatever it is, or they'll try and explain it away. I mean, they'll have the 50 people that that signed on to say that that was a hoax too. Well, you know, uh, that said, I'm just going to put something up on the video screen, if I can get this to go up to where I want it to go. Um, but the, there is a little mime I had put together, and it's side-by-side side, Merrick Garland and Fauci. And uh, you know the song from uh, the Patty Duke show, They're cousins, identical cousins, as you'll find. <laughs> they look alike, they talk alike. Yeah. <laughs> <Cousins>. <laughs> That's my mind. It is up on the video page. People can take a look at it. And if you look at Fauci and Garland together, I'm sorry. This is the new takeoff on the Patty Duke show. <laughs> it's going to be Fauci and Garland. <laughs> hey, Jeff. That's pretty funny. Jeff. Super. Yes. Um, Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter, how has that impacted you, if any? Hasn't impacted us at all. We, you know, we are, uh, you know, we're, we're a search and browser, and we don't have any kind of chatter going back and forth. So it, it's a shame it's not doing better than it's doing. But, uh, you know, I have confidence that Elon Musk will, will do something great about it. And, look, the greatest thing he did was to show the bias that was going on with the censorship. And, and what, what upsets me the oh, most yeah. is, right, is the, is the, the fact that, no one will take action against these government officials. 
that we're basically telling it's one thing for a private company. We have to recognize one thing for a private company to decide they're not going to serve you or they're going to block you. Now they should tell you up front. I had a discussion yesterday. They should tell users up front, you're not welcome. And that way you don't, you know, you don't end up getting shadow banned or, or kicked off or censored because you know not to be there and you, you, you come with somebody else, but they didn't do that. And for years they're making tons of money off of all of us. And then they're quietly shadow banning and censoring. And what's 10 times worse, of course, is the government involved. So the government says, well, we didn't have anything to do with it, yet the government was telling Twitter, and Twitter was, of course, in, you know, in, in lockstep with the government, deciding that they were going to ban, shadow ban, censor, not tell stories, don't, not talk about the Biden laptop, so on and so forth. That's criminal. And I, I don't believe well, anybody know, will be held accountable for it. No, not only that, but you also you also recognize that with Meta, which is now what is Facebook was originally, they've reduced their workforce by one fourth, and we're finding all the Silicon Valley uh, uh, tech companies they have, were so bloated with overstaff they no longer can uh, reasonably justify the salaries of these people, much less the presence in their company. Yeah, that's totally right. I actually, so full disclosure and transparency, I actually have Google as one of my tenants in one of my office parks. And uh, they're, they're fine citizens. I'm, you know, there's no issue with them. Uh, but they're not, yeah, they're not giving you uh, all the freebies that they used to because they really can't afford that. And there was this glut going on. Uh, and, you know, obviously with the downturn of the economy, which we're all waiting for this shoe to drop, um, and it's probably coming. I don't know to what extent the recession will happen and how much, but it's coming. Um, yeah, it, yeah, these things happen. Unfortunately, uh, really very, very, very unfortunately. But uh, it has been a pleasure having you on. People can find Tusk by going into their Google uh, Play account and downloading it onto their smart device, or even just going into their browser, you know, searching for Tusk browser and downloading it onto their, their computers at home and enjoy being able to look at the news and everything without the liberal slant trying to tear you away and brainwash you. Right. Not only that, but, you know, when you do a search, you can do a search left, right, or center, and I, I have mine on right. I don't even need to, to talk about the center on the most part. So you have that ability in our search engine besides the Gipper now that allows you, and it's not just for fun. It's If you have a serious question for business or you want to look at a recipe for something or I was looking for a new pair of skis the other day. I don't know why it's coming to summer, but that's my thing to do. It's all there. <laughs> and so I encourage oh, people to sale. come and use it. Of course, and I, 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 uh, I, just, I just would love people to come on, support us, because the only way we're going to survive, I'm not asking, you know, if you want to come and help us on our crowdfunding, we would love that, but it's free, and, 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 and we don't censor the news. So we try and bubble everything up for you. So please have your listeners come and join us, because the only way we're going to make it is everybody joins in. Absolutely. Now, Jeff, right. we have a listener that, that, that does call in every once in a while with some intelligent questions. Believe it or not, we do have intelligent people listening to this show. So <laughs> we're going to entertain him for his question. Pianki, go, go ahead. And uh, our, our guest is Jeff Berment of Tusk, a browser. What's your question or comment? Well, I'm going to make a comment to, to Jeff. 
of them calling Tucker Carlson a racist is nothing more than the ploy that's being used today against white people. Here's the point. Being a racist is not illegal unless you violate someone's civil rights. And given today's use of the word, which is broadened completely out of recognition, well, just about anything can be accused of being a racist. And I tell, and they use it against whites. And when somebody calls you a racist, call them a racist back. Yes, I, I agree with strategy. you. Call them a it's racist back. It's how we've back. divided, right. It's the, you know, the, the, and, just one last comment. The, 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 the liberals, the progressives, couldn't find a way to divide us by, by economics. So they came up with the race card, and that's, you know, it's not race, it's trans, race you know, transgender, right? It's all these things. And the use it's, of the word white supremacist is also. Yeah. Racism has no respect for skin color, if you really want to look at it in its proper perspective. Thank you for the opportunity to express this. Yeah, it's a great well, comment. Thank you, thank you. Great comment. <laughs> you do right. I told you, you we do have intelligence. <laughs> I told you we do. We do. I, yes, I aim. Sure. I aim to get quality people, and yeah, we do have a good following because we're up on uh, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, iHeartRadio, um, and half a dozen other places. I forget, so don't even ask me what my demographics are. But my question to you would be: Would you think about at one time? somewhere down the line, having an area in your browser for podcasts like myself to be able to be found and be part of your Tusk environment. Great idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I have a meeting this afternoon with my team. I can't overload them, but that's a splendid idea is to have a a library of conservative, uh, well, maybe have some liberal too, and we would label them so that people know what they're getting into because that's important. Oh, you're going to have to start paying me a commission here, you know? <laughs> I'm going to get paid myself. You know that uh, I'm, I'm proudly to tell you I have never made any money at this point. I have never taken a, even a salary on my on, on the tech that I build. I just I, I happen to be lucky and have made some good money on real estate. But this is all a passion for me. And, yes, we want to be successful. We're capitalists. We want to make money. So investors that come in, which we have a lot of people coming in and investing a small amount of money, as little as a hundred dollars, uh, we I want them to be part of the of the success. So uh, just, but I, I'm proud of the fact that I've never even taken a salary. Now, if someone wanted to invest, how would they go about that? Would they go into your browser, or would they go into a a stock? Uh, uh, there's a app yeah, or what? A, uh, there's, if you come onto our on our on onto our Tusk onto the website, you'll see a place that says invest. And if you just click on that, it will take you to WeFunder. And under WeFunder, it's as little as a hundred dollars to invest. And you know, my goal uh, that, that's part of capitalism, and we make money. And I would love community to come in and be involved. I, I make no guarantees that we'll be successful, but we'll be successful if people decide. They want to use us as their browser and search engine. We have an excellent chance. And by the way, we're planning on going into schools. That's the next place that I plan to to get the idea because I think the schools are where we need to start teaching kids about left, right, and other viewpoints other than what they're learning in school today, which is horrible. 
Oh, God bless. God bless. I wish you a lot of good luck on that one uh, because the brainwashing of our kids today is absolutely phenomenal. And we've got, to, we've got to stop it. We've got to bring it back down to the founding principles. I know here in the state of South Carolina, a number of years ago, we passed legislation, actually altered our state constitution where you must teach the founding documents in uh, the grade schools and going up into the secondary schools, you know, such as colleges and universities. And I just wish anyone who gets elected to office would have to pass a constitutional test. And you can't get elected. You cannot take your seat unless you know the Constitution and what our rights are, especially the Bill of Rights. I totally agree with you. Well, Jeff, it has been a pleasure, and we welcome you back any other time. And i got to tell you, this is also a labor of love. I've been doing this now, today is 2013, for going on 12 years, and <laughs> it is a labor of love. So I know what it costs you in the end, <laughs> but we Thank still you, do uh, it. You and I are, are comrades in arms, so to speak. I don't want to use that term, comrades, but we are fighting the good fight. And in the, <clears throat> it's really interesting. I had a meeting I had a debate with a progressive the other day, and he was so set on the fact that, you know, you can just be canceled. And this is just wrong. I'm, you know, I don't know where these people get this idea that you just cancel other people out. But that's our job to fight that and to bring up the next generation not to believe in things like this. And that's why I always say I will defend to the death your First Amendment right to be as stupid as you want. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am, that's correct. All right, God bless, Jeff. And tell everyone Thank to check so out much. Tusk Brow- Browser. Take care, Jeff Berman. Check out Tusk Browser on your Take smart care. device, your phone, and everywhere else, and just get involved. And let's get the elephant out there. Let's get the elephant out of the room and into the public. Welcome back onto the show as I take one deep breath. Uh, the CEO of JKC Trucking. I managed to say that without tripping over my words. Mike Karchowski. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you doing today? Good afternoon. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. And welcome back. Welcome back. And um, just before Jeff left, he was mentioning the possibility of an economic downturn. And this is something that you have been publicly speaking about Uh, especially since in your business you deal with the transportation of goods and services across the nation. And when the pandemic hit, uh, we found major shortages, which there was really no excuse for it. Um, But we've been having the wool pulled over our eyes for so long, it's now become a major problem. What the heck is going on? Are we going into another huge economic downturn? Are we facing another toilet paper shortage? What the heck is going on here? Yeah, a lot has been going on. You know, obviously, when we had the pandemic, we shut down, which was a a huge mistake. And then since then, we were like kind of up and down. We could never catch up on on capacity of of, of products. And what we specialize is is food products. So refrigerated, frozen, uh, we halt food products. And what's happening now is, we were busy, 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 and here comes 2023. And now because of, you know, the, how expensive goods are at the grocery store, you know, we are – something called volume volatility is happening because people can't afford certain goods. Their diets are changing. Uh, the staple goods they're paying for are, you know, still three times expensive as pre-COVID. And now there is less work for, 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 for truckers. And it's – so I think we're all caught up. Uh, with the products, 
but now there is less of certain things because the American public or the American people cannot buy these things. They only have, you know, so much. You're going to a grocery store right now. You can't, my wife can't walk in there and buy a gallon of milk and not walk out paying $300. And now this, I'm sure we all have the same kind of, uh, you know, situation when we're going to their grocery stores and it's, it's not getting better. No, I mean, I, I've got to admit, uh, I, I will date my age at this point, uh, but the first two cars I bought, I bought it off of my grandparents, and I bought it for $65 worth of groceries. I basically went to the grocery store, spent $65 worth of groceries, walked out with four huge grocery bags stocked with food. If you go to spend $65 in groceries, you're lucky if you fill up maybe one quarter of that bag at this point. The, the, the way the prices have risen in such an astronomical speed and amount is phenomenal. When was the last time where our country saw such a rise in inflation and so fast? You know, I would say the last time something like this happened was, you know, in, in 2008, 2009, when, the, when we had the, the economical crash. You know, back then is the... Last time I remember, it, it got to such dark times because back then also what, what happens when a recession happens, you know, people start, you know, funneling their, their funds, what, what they need. And like 2008, you know, consumption for the American people dropped 30%. That is enormous. You know, 30% is enough to, you know, put a lot of our, our businesses out of, to, you know, we won't make enough money that we will, you know, go out of business. You know, everybody was fighting for it. And the worst problem is in the trucking industry is um, we were short during the pandemic, and now we have a little bit too many truckers because the volumes are down. But what happens is the shippers go to the market. And when they go to the market, it goes to the lowest bidder. And there's times and there's weeks that I say, look, it, it's better to park these trucks than, than run them because after we, you know, our two, two most big expenses are, you know, driver payroll and fuel. Fuel is ridiculously expensive. It is falling now a little bit, and I would like to see it fall faster. The reason it's falling is because we're not using so much, because not all the trucks are rolling because of this volume volatility. There's, there's less, uh, and, you know, obviously, uh, J.B. Hunt even said that, look, we're, we're approaching, we're in a transportation recession. And what they mean by that is, you know, J.B. Hunt hauls a lot of containers coming from other countries, the import the exports, everything's down, especially the imports, which, you know, America was, you know, we build a lot of things here, but when we learned during the pandemic, we import a lot of ingredients, parts to build the stuff we do, and that really hurt us because when, when that stuff stopped, stopped coming in, there was, we couldn't get things done, you know, uh, cars, uh, forklifts, et cetera. It was, it was, it was a complete nightmare. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. You know, car parts are are really dear, and the cost of car parts have gone through the roof. So here we are. They're forcing us going into electrical cars, which no one to begin with can afford the electrical cars. Uh, so you try to keep the car you have on the road driving, but if you can't, then you try to get yourself another car, whether it's secondhand or new, but then the cost of a secondhand car or a new car has gone completely through the roof. So you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, and now you have no vehicle to get yourself back and forth to work with or to go to the store with. So they're forcing us into a um, sustainable neighborhood where you live in these cities and you can take the bus and go down to the corner store and they are control where you live, where you work, 
Is this what you foresee for our future? Is this what what I'm seeing, What the same thing you're seeing? You know, so the electric cars is – I can't comment about that, but I could talk about the electric trucks because California is trying to push that, look, they're going to outlaw diesel engines by, I forgot, 2030 or something like that, and they want electric trucks. Electric trucks is, 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 is great, but I don't think electric trucks are the solution for, for, for multiple reasons. Um, number one, electric truck, uh, the batteries in the truck are extremely, extremely heavy. It'll need two batteries. I think each battery is like 4,000 pounds, so 8,000 uh, total. Wow. Uh, when, a tr- when a truck is fully fueled, it's only about 2,300 pounds in weight. So you can see how much more weight we're adding, right? And my mm-hmm. biggest issue that I see is, so California had, the last two years in California, the summertime, they had the hottest summers on record. And on the news, they went on the news, the news was saying, hey, everybody, do not plug in your electric car because the grid is over, overloaded. Do not plug it in, which is a problem. So let's say we get these trucks. California, I would say there's like, I don't know, 400,000 trucks, something like that. That's a, a rough estimate. So when we have to plug in all these trucks, into the grid, you know, there's not going to be enough electricity. And then I was talking to one gentleman that's saying that UPS already has three um, big semi trucks that are electric in Southern California. But the only problem is they can't get any more because each one of these trucks, when they're plugged in at night, they're using about 200, the electricity, same electricity as 200 households would use. That is crazy, massively big. You know, so unless, you know, that we really ramp up the power grid or we come up with some, like, futuristic battery that, we you know, we could uh, use less energy to, to charge and it has a, a, a bigger charge, uh, I don't see this, this being, you know, fixing everything. You know I mean? I, I, I like hybrid trucks. Right now we have diesel trucks, right? And I, I like a hybrid truck because, you know, the way I see it is like this. If one part breaks down, the electric part breaks down, we could start like, you know, uh, right now the next thing is everybody wants to do hydrogen engines. So, like, I, I like the hydrogen engine generator in a truck that will charge the batteries because, let's say, your batteries are dead. You could, you know, get some hydrogen and still keep going uh, or run out of hydrogen. You could run out of electricity. I like this this method because, you know, one dies, you have a backup. Let's say our electric truck dies, we're dead in the water. Well, that's kind of funny you said dead in the water because if you recall the flooding we recently had in Florida and all the electrical mm-hmm. cars that were flooded and the fires that were started because of the electrical batteries, uh, lithium and water do not get along too well together. Um, so it, I've always been very, very leery about an electrical battery. But not only that, it is, uh, the rare earth minerals that are in those batteries, but they're toxic. You cannot dump them back into the ground. The same thing you have with solar panels. They are toxic. You have to handle them as hazardous waste materials. But you still need petrochemicals in order to create the components for these vehicles and the batteries. So no matter Correct. what, you still need petrochemicals. You still have to go for oil. So why don't we then just stick with the oil, which is cheaper, and actually clean, burns cleaner than the chemicals in the plants creating these materials. Because you no know, one's talking about the hazardous chemicals being spewed by the, the factories creating the batteries in the cars. So you know, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, because those electrical cars are not green. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're not green. 
I, I agree with you 100%. I was just watching a, a show showing how they dig up the, li- uh, the lithium out of the ground. They're using diesel engines. So they're like, now everybody wants lithium. So these, these lithium miners are like running, you know, 24-7, right? And they are using more diesel, polluting way more. Uh, and then you have to process the lithium and, and make it a battery. By the time you get done, you, you've done more damage than, than just, you know, continuing it on. You know, that what, one thing people don't understand is that we haven't found another fuel other than diesel that works as well as it does to power these trucks. Because if we did, we'd have moved to it. I'm a fan of hydrogen, right? I, I haven't seen a hydrogen engine yet. Um, I guess, the, you know, Cummins is retooling all their diesel engines to run on hydrogen. I think, uh, I believe that uh, vapors that give off are like water vapors from that hydrogen engine. It, it's great. But, you know, what when people forget is hydrogen is very explosive. So, you know, you're, you're going to have to give something up. There's no win-win situation. It's going to be a good or a bad wherever we, where we end up, unless, you know, we, we come up with some, you know, super, super futuristic technology that, you know, will we'll nip this in the butt. But I, I don't see that happening. You know, maybe something soon, but, I mean, I do believe in miracles. But right now, I yeah, don't think the life but, structure is, yeah. is the way to go. Well, you, you just mentioned something with the hydrogen engine, with the hydrogen being highly combustible. Uh, if you remember when the gremlins came out, Anytime someone hit someone in the back of a gremlin, it would explode. Just imagine someone getting into a car accident with a hydrogen vehicle. Uh-oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That, that was not Russia bombing New York City. That was a car accident over in Times Square with a hydrogen vehicle. I'm sorry. <laughs> Correct, yeah. Hey, Mike. It is. Yes. Mike, isn't it true That's that um, if one of these um, electric trucks catch on fire it can burn for like 24 hours or something that's a great question uh I and that would, would shut down the roads and everything that would back up traffic for hours definitely definitely i think it's going to be worse than a, a regular you know solid everything catches on fire we have truck fires all the time i think it would be worse and, and the way i say worse because if you go on youtube and you google tesla cars on fire there is like hundreds of videos and it's horrific to watch these videos because not only is the car burning it's like exploding on top of it so and then you know the firemen are doing their best to put it out so imagine you know that's just a tesla car so imagine a truck that's you know 10 times bigger and that catches on fire and it's burning on the highway and that's exploding i mean how dangerous it's going to be for the firemen to if i was a fireman you know, i would only get so close because i would you i would know it explode it's just more dangerous. I, I how's this? Both are bad hydrogen and 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 these uh, lithium batteries. But I almost would take my chances with the hydrogen because you know there's one boom and and party's over. <laughs> no, it, it's That's funny one way to put it. You know, <laughs> truckers like you move about seventy percent of our goods and services across the nation. You think about that. Uh, almost three quarters of everything that moves across this nation is moved by truck. And 20, 30 years ago, it was a high uh, uh, amount of independent truckers. I mean, you'd see J.D. Hunt and you would see Walmart. You, you'd see these, these big trucking firms like yours. And, you know, it was, it was a fun competition between the – I shouldn't say exactly fun, but there was a competition between the independent truckers 
and the trucking companies like J.B. Hunt. Um, but they moved everything smoothly. But now with these new policies that this administration has placed in, or actually should say the last decade they've been placed, policies placed in, is placed a heavy burden on the truckers. And now with certain regulations, um, I do remember calling that trying to get new people in there as truck drivers was almost impossible because of the amount of training, the restrictions on how far you can drive. They've done everything to hobnob you. And what is the purpose of that? Is that the purpose to move everything to rail or to some other form of transportation other than trucking? No. So let me answer this in two steps. The rail will not fix. Everybody says, hey, just put on the rail. We're using the rail right now. But the rail is not the cure to cancer because uh, also there's gear elements of the rail. The rail could only do so much. And then when it comes off the rail, it goes onto a truck. And who picks it up? An owner-operator, as you said. You know what I mean? Like, and I just want to point out that you know, being an owner-operator is where trucking companies are forged from. When my father started in 78, he was an owner-operator, and then we built up enough trucks until we became JKC. So that's how trucking companies are forged. You know what I mean? And I, and I believe in, in my heart that being an owner-operator is, is, is living the American dream because everybody you know, comes to this country or, or wants to be – you know, be their own boss, choose their own work, own their own equipment. To me, that's kind of my American dream. That's why I see it. Maybe a few other people see it a different way. But, you know, and then if you're over-regulated, because we are over-regulated, and then you – great question you ask, do these things help? No, but they say they, they put all these regulations in for our safety, but, you know, these regulations are, are backfiring, the hours of service. They changed the hours of service a couple of years ago, and they said this would, you know, save hundreds of thousands of people getting in accidents. But the data that's coming out is actually showing that, you know, drivers are getting more accidents because it's more of stricter regulation. And when a driver starts driving, you know, he could drive to 8 to 11 hours a day, depending with his brakes. And when he starts driving, he has to keep going, right? And then the drivers are saying they're always chasing the clock. So let's say in the middle of your drive, you know, you've been driving for four hours and you're like, you know, I'm really tired. I'd rather take a nap right now and then continue driving later. You can't do that because if you take that nap, you lose those hours. And that's it. When you run out of hours, you got to kind of restart all over again. And that, that's what these truckers are, are complaining about. You know, I mean, there should be more flexibility, elasticity in, in this law. They're saying they're going to change it. I mean, I've been saying that for a couple of years. I'm still kind of waiting to see what what's going to happen. But uh, this is just an example. You know, they made a change to make it more safe, but actually did the complete opposite. And instead of saying, okay, look, let's go back to what we used to do because that worked, they're not. And I don't understand why either. Well, you've got a bureaucrat sitting in an office somewhere that says, well, on paper this looks good, but nowhere along the way do they talk about the practicality of it by going to the actually to the truckers and the companies saying, all right, this is what we're proposing. Show us why it will or will not work. There's no one talking yep. to each other. Instead, you've got someone in an ivory tower deigning what you should be doing without completely understanding what it is you do. And that's the problem we have with this bureaucracy we, are, we have. And that's why we've got to overturn it. Yeah, the, lawmar- the lawmakers have to sit down with us. And I, I always say this during our, our – when I was doing interviews through, through COVID, I said, you know, we need to sit down with the lawmakers to show them what we do because they really don't see the, to, to show them, show them what our problems are, 
how to fix them and to educate them. You know what I mean? To educate them what we do, what we need to do, what, what we need to happen so we could get this moving along. And then that's kind of been a kind of a, a dead end. You know what I mean? We have a new transportation uh, gentleman, uh, Peter Budjed, which is kind of in his own <laughs> world. In his own yeah. world, I don't think he's, the, he's not going to be the one to sit down with us and to say, hey, look, what are your problems? How can we fix this? But, I mean, hopefully in the, in the near future there will be something like this that we could, you know, sit down and, and fix this. Well, at the height of the pandemic, what really threw me, because they were restricting about truckers. All right, first off, you're by yourself. You may have someone else riding with you, but you've got yourself a cab that you turn around, you pull to the side of the road or into a truck stop, you curl up, you go to sleep. You're not going into motel room. You don't interact with a lot of people unless you go into the travel stop and you go and get yourself a cup of coffee and a burger or something. You mm-hmm. guys are loners. So what is it with the mandatory vaccines and the mandatory masks? You're not interacting with anyone until you make your delivery. And even then, you can stand your six feet apart, and you just turn around and say, all right, fine, here's the clipboard, there's the load, go, ahead, go at it. They don't understand I, what it is you do. Correct. No, it was, it, it was actually one of the saddest moments in America when this happened because truckers, yes, you're right, they're by themselves in the cab. They, they barely have an interaction with people. It, it, it's very limited. And the public painted this picture that the truck drivers are the wide spreaders of COVID. Anybody coming from New York is, has COVID or, or Washington, et cetera. Uh, and I remember some warehouses even to such extreme that when we would go to the warehouse, they wouldn't let us inside the warehouse. Like our, the dispatchers, we'd have to uh, email them the paperwork. We would arrive, we would call. They would back us into a door, right? We could never go inside. Uh, they would unload us, and then we would leave, and they would email us the signed bill of ladies. And I was like, that is way overkill. Or when they closed all the restrooms on the, on the, uh, the truck stops uh, for, for the truck drivers not to spread COVID, I, I was outraged, you know, because, you know, so a man could kind of go anywhere. But we have a lot of women truck drivers. I have a lot of women truck drivers. Who are these women are supposed to go? You know what I mean? A man could rough it, but a, a lady cannot. You know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a shame that they did that. It was, it was probably one of the most embarrassing moments and, and the biggest mistakes I, I think they've done. You know, and I really hope we learn from these mistakes moving forward because that was just catastrophic. No, and that's what I'm saying. They've got a bureaucracy in place, and they have people in charge of this that have absolutely no comprehension about the industries that they are controlling. And it's not just trucking. You, you can put your finger on just about any industry, and somewhere along the way there's a bureaucrat that's deciding what you can and cannot do with absolutely no knowledge of what that industry actually in truth does. And this is where we need to change our government from the inside out. You know, just sweep the, the bums out and get a whole new breath of fresh air in there. And that's why we need voices like you out there saying, hey, listen, you guys, you're messing up. We have an industry here that can move this nation forward if you let us do our job. And here's where you got your problems, and let's work on correcting them. But no one's listening. That's the problem. No, that is a problem. I mean, I would love to work with anybody that would would listen to 
to, to the truckers. And I think it, the truck drivers even all said this, hey, listen, you need to take our perspective because you guys don't know what's going out there. And that's why I was always saying, you know, we need to educate these people. You know what I mean? Throw them in the truck. Take them on the road to see how it is. You know what I mean? Driving driving a truck is, 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 is a, a lifestyle. It, it's great. I love to drive. But, you know, it has some, some negative things. And, and these, these politicians need to, to see these things that are happening out there because, I mean, the motoring public, when they see a truck, they, they see it as, you know, a nuisance, something really moving really slow in front of them, and they want to, you know, pass up the truck or cut them off. You know, they, 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 they really didn't understand until when COVID happened, when we had all these shutdowns, how all this product got there. You know, I, I really think that a lot of the – it opened the eyes of the American people because a lot of people thought that the food in the grocery store moved from the back room to the – to you know, on the shelves, and that wasn't the case, you know, when there were empty shelves. They were like, oh, oh, my gosh. Well, you know, how did this stuff get here? Oh, it gets here by trucks. You know, it, it, it changed everybody's perspective, uh, but it kind of just ended there when, you know, COVID kind of faded away, but since then I haven't seen any, I haven't seen any, any, any progress, but uh, I pray in the future there has to be something going on. No, there has, there has to be a change because you, you do talk about the rise in food prices, especially eggs. Now this is absolutely ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> but we, we see that the effect on the food industry and on everything else in our society, uh, when a gallon of milk goes from $2.65 and in a matter of just months going up over $4, there's something wrong with the supply chain. And we've got a government that's restricting the production of, 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 of produce and, and dairy products and meat products. They're, they're restricting what we can do. And then they then restrict the way you can transport it. And this is a lose-lose situation for the American people. And somewhere along the way, we've got to put the brakes on it and let the truckers do their job, let the farmers, let the other producers do their job mm -hmm. and get this nation rolling again. No, I agree. We need to figure out. You know, because if they're not restricted, some, some goods are so expensive. We need to figure out why. Why, why are these goods so expensive? Why? Why are all these costs being rolled into it? Like, for example, meat. I think meat is still pretty expensive. It's been expensive for a very long time. Why is it so expensive? What could the government do to, to help and, and lower this? Because it's the, the, it, it's the consumer, the American people, right in the pocket at the end of the day. And, you know, because of recession and inflation, it's, you know, people's diet have changed, and they'll continue to change until, until something is done. Well, then you get someone like me that where I stockpile, <laughs> and I, I had a laugh because <clears throat> I recently got rid of a deep freezer, and I was going into the refrigerator to pull some stuff out, and I pull out some chopped meat to make some meatloaf, and I got the chopped meat at a dollar ninety nine sitting in my freezer. You're looking at chopped meat now sitting at four three ninety nine four ninety nine five ninety nine. I'm laughing all the way into the oven, going, I got this for a dollar ninety nine. But how much longer am I going to have that in my freezer? Not much longer. So we've got a supply chain problem that is being caused by this government that we've got to turn around. And the only way we're going to do that is from the ground up by our elected officials, be they local, state, or federal. But we've got to change it and change it at the ballot, ballot box and do it now. Am I right or wrong, Mike? Yes, I would say that, no, that's, Definitely, I agree with that. I mean, we, we need to get new leaders and leaders that, that want to 
fix these issues, that want to be more elastic and, and more motivated to, to do something about this, you know, other than, I mean, I, I support green energy, but pushing this green energy at, at what cost? Uh, it doesn't make sense. We have other bigger problems that we need to knock out first before we get to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Mike, if people want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? Yeah, they could go to uh, jkctrucking.com, or if somebody's looking for a career change, want to be a truck driver, essential worker, uh, we're hiring drivers at uh, jobs at jkctrucking.com. Well, fantastic, Mike. Good luck and God bless, and happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo, and thank you for your support. All right, take care. Take care, Mike. Check out Mike at, at JKC Trucking. Uh, God bless. All right. So we got our next victim in on the line, a friend of ours, Curtis. Dem- Curtis, Dem- would you like to introduce your friend to the show? Demencio Bart. Yeah. Good afternoon, Demencio. Good afternoon. How you doing? All right. Oh, we're doing fine. Doing fine. You know, I was mentioning today's Cinco de Mayo, but more importantly, and because you are a pastor, uh, yesterday was the National Day of Prayer. And mm-hmm. you didn't see that mentioned anywhere, did you? No, actually it was pretty, except for in the Christian channel. Now, you, you, you did see it there, but you didn't see it in any of the real mainstream. I wonder why. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, really, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's just who you are is just showing up more and more. And just like who you are not, you know, like you have some people that are Christians when it's in vogue, like during election time, and then when it's not in vogue, just like the other three years or the other year, whatever it is, the off year for elections, um, a lot of people can care less and that are in authority. So true. You know, and you would think that in today's day and age, in, the, in what our nation is going through, the rifts that are within it, it would be a day that the nation would all at once rise up and say, hey, listen, we need guidance. But we have a segment of our society that is so bent on destroying our faith, our religion, and making us instead kneel at the, at the altar of government that the message is being lost. We, re- we recently had um, the college in Kentucky do that uh, uh, revival that lasted mm-hmm. two weeks. But yes. you hear about it for a day or two, and then it's gone. For some yes. reason, the, our voice of faith is being stifled. Yeah, I mean, right now, it's not funny what's been happening, but, you know, it's been happening for a long time. You know, it's, it's sort of like cooking, you know, the whole old adage about how do you cook a frog Very that's alive. You cook him real slowly. You, can't, you throw him in a pot of boiling water, he jumps right out. You, let, you put him in some cool water and then slowly amp up the temperature or ramp up the temperature, and eventually you'll have him cooked. And, if, and really, if you think about it, that's, that's what happened to the body, and I'm talking about the church now, the church inside of America and the, the stance for what is right before God in America. We didn't have someone back in 1920 just step up and say, hey, men go into women's bathrooms, boys go in, transgender. We didn't have it like that. But if you take it over 100 years or so and you slowly ramp it up and you increase the rhetoric and you start to win allies with resources, 
it's, a, it's possible to end up where we are. It, the saddest part, though, for this, for me, for me personally, is that Christians are, I, are it's like we're waking up and saying, what in the world has happened? It took a long time to get here. The real question should be is, how could I have slept for so long? You with me? Yeah. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I'm getting my blood to boil a little bit because uh, I read this before when I was doing my notes last night. And I'm just, as you're talking, I'm just glancing through it really fast again. <clears throat> According to the White House, the Proclamation on National Day of Prayer, which is signed by President Joseph R. Biden, Jr., nowhere in this document does he mention God. Mm-hmm. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> Was that not a Democratic platform a few years back when they had their platform, and nowhere did they mention God in the platform, but the Republicans did? Remember when they had the um, their they they were meeting. I think it was their meeting in Tampa, and they had this is probably who knows 2012 or something like that. And then they had literally voted to take God out of their platform. Off the platform, yeah. That's right. right. And then because they saw the backlash, the powers that be on in front of everybody overruled it. But it's obvious that it wasn't overruled. It's just they did it to um, placate people, the, the, the commoners, if you will. It, it just was amazing to me that they got away with those type of shenanigans. But, again, who was holding them accountable for what they were doing? If you look and you see, I mean, you look and you see um, the black church, and it's like you're, you're saying this is supposed to be one of the most religious segments of uh, society. You have the Hispanic body, and it's supposed to be as, as or more religious than the black. And then you have the Caucasian. It's like you look, but isn't it funny, and not to mention the, um, the suburbanite women. You know, you look and you see this here strong base for this group who, for the most part, say that they believe in Jesus Christ. They don't even just say generically God. They say they believe in Jesus Christ, and yet all of these shenanigans, in-your-face shenanigans, have taken place, and no one called them out in their own group. Because it's one thing to be a part of a party, but you don't give up your salvation. You don't believe, give up your God for anybody, but it does seem like um, we've had that happen. And that's unfortunate, because in the Republican creed, if you go towards the end of the Republican creed, you say, and I bow before no one, save my God. That's in the Republican creed, but it's not in any other party creed. So we have to be able to, as a group, say, when we say those words, we mean them. Mm -hmm. It's easy to say them, but it's not easy to stand up with them that's the problem yeah you know you know when i look at a lot of this you go back to okay i'm going to do a cross to a crossover you look and you see what did it cost and i'm talking about for believers in in christ christians right now what did it cost to have what we have well it cost sacrifice by jesus It, it cost him his life laying down his life so the others would have a life. And then you look at this nation. It cost men, many, many men and women their life. 
many, many women, their, their fortune, many, many of them, their, their names in the, in the, um, the, in the English empire, it cost them something to have what we now enjoy, to have it come into being. But what's happened in a way is that if it doesn't cost you anything, it's easier for you to throw it away. And when you look exactly. at what you look at what we have, it, come on, Adam and Eve, they were given the garden. Did they give it up very easily? Mm-hmm. When you look and you see us and you see us in the United States of America, here we are, we were given the greatest nation of its day, but we were given the, the greatest principles upon which a nation should be based. Because our nation was get, was created for our God and for our Creator, for people to be able to freely worship Him, for for people to be able to freely live a life unto Him and take the gospel into the world. You know, people ran from England to this this bare this land of um, Indians and, and and whatever, and it's like. We got the nation, we got everything that others sacrificed for, but the generation that didn't have to sacrifice is the one that's throwing it away. Exactly, exactly. You know, it it, it takes a lot of courage to act upon what you believe in in truth. And this is the problem. If you don't believe, you're not going to act upon it. And yeah. I, I got to tell you something that was interesting because uh, my mom, God bless her, uh, wanted mm-hmm. to do one of these things for pro, pro-life. Her church was doing this where they stood on the corners and they all prayed. And I decided I was going to take it one step further. So I made for my mom and I T-shirts. Mm-hmm. And it, it, on the front of the T-shirt was a Madonna-like image holding an infant. And mm-hmm. on the image it read, I thank God. My mom chose life. Mm. And then I quoted on the back of the, the T-shirt, the gospel, it says, I knew you in the womb. Right. So it is one thing to stand there and, and stand there quietly and pray, but another thing to wear the message as you do it so people can see the message. And then yes, I'm proud to wear that. I go through the grocery store. I always get a good compliment whenever I wear that T-shirt. But you have mm-hmm. to be able to... To say it, but to say it with grace and dignity. Yes. And that's the difference. Instead of in your face, you've got to believe exactly as I say, and, and you can't believe anything else. No, no, no. No, no, no. You no. know, what you just said is funny because it's like even in our own household, because, you know, our first witness is in our own house. And it's like mm-hmm. even in our own household, we're, we don't all 100% align on everything. But we have to respect each other. And then we have to, as much as it lies in us to keep peace with each other, live and make a good life with each other. But I will say this here, I believe one of the best things that happens in a household, if it's cultivated, is the right for each one to share what they believe with each other, debate it, sometimes even have moments of intense fellowship, i.e. argue, but in the end of the day, still love each other in spite of it, still hold their household together in spite of the fact that they didn't 100% agree on everything. When you had that shirt and you wore that shirt, the scripture says, I believe, therefore I speak. That aligns. But we also believing 
Therefore, we speak, we want somebody else, according to Scripture, to have a right to speak also, even if they disagree with us. And we want, exactly. to, have, we want to have what the Lord said in one verse, the ability to reason together. We exactly. need to be able to have the opportunity to talk with one another in an open forum and, and relate to each other why I believe what I believe if we truly want to come to the best outcome for us all. A lot of times, though, a lot of people don't understand nowadays because of just some of these weird uh, philosophies, they don't understand that by shutting down conversation, they're shutting down growth. They're shutting down yes. the ability to learn. And, and that is a, that, if we allow that to take place in the United States, destruction of our, our right to speak and share, uh, uh, what we believe, our nation will quickly become the opposite of what it was meant to be. Demencio, exactly. Could you could you tell us a little bit about what your organization is doing to make a positive um, difference um, in the youth in your area? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Yes, I'm a pastor. We are one ministries, but in such, I believe in you must take what you believe into the marketplace, you must take it into government, you must take it into your environment all about you. And one of the things that myself, I've had the opportunity to do is become the chairman of the education committee for Orange County's Republicans and to also become chairman of the um, Conservative Education Coalition for Central Florida. And what we're doing is this. There's a lot of complaints that have been going on since COVID time. And what was happening was we were finding out that our children were not being educated so much as they were being what we call uh, or colloquialized as indoctrinated, i.e., they weren't learning math, English, science, uh, civics, you know, American history, that type of stuff, or culture history. They were actually learning more of a – uh, a belief system of those who had power at the time, i.e. the Democratic Party and certain stances they had on socialism, mm-hmm. um, communism, anti-capitalism, um, and actually anti-authority as far as parental authority, they actually wanted to bring those things into question. And so what started to happen is as all these mothers and fathers started walking by the computers and hearing the the the, the just in, our, in my word, evil that was being put into their kids, they started putting two and two together, and they're like, wait a minute, that's why my kid has been acting not like my family acts and saying things not like my family. Well, when that happened, a bunch of parents, I, myself included, we decided to really become involved what was going on politically just to make sure that our laws were right but also becoming um, uh, um, active in the education arena, uh, just active at all levels of society, and even just like in the one-to-one neighbor interactions, just trying to find out what's really going on because it's the nation, we were losing our nation. I mean, come on, all these, the riots, stuff that we never even thought, the bathroom issues we we never would have even dreamed of in my childhood would have been happening. Here we were facing it on a day-to-day basis, and the ones in power were siding with those who were going to take away our rights and, the, and what we saw as a future for our kids. 
So what we did was we started to get involved with from politically, I even ran for Orange County School Board Chair. We, um, I did not win that one, but from it I gained these other positions. We've gone about getting laws into effect, like um, House Bill 1, which passed uh, a few weeks ago, which is the one where parents now will have, uh, as of July the 1st of this year, 2023, parents will have control of the state of Florida funds for their children. So from K through 12, around $8,200 per child will now be under the authority of the parent or guardian of that child for their education. The parents can't put it in their bank account, but the parents can dictate how it's used. So if they chose private school, if they chose to leave them in public school, they could leave, do there. If they chose charter, or even if they chose homeschool, you can, there is a portion, that the whole, excuse me, the whole 8,200 could be used towards that year's education of that child. And this is something that renews every year. So it's 8,200 roughly per year for the children. And even down to this, um, the bathroom bill, I think it was 1521, we just had that get passed through the Senate and the House this week. And we've had all of these issues with the transgenderism and the, the bathrooms and boys are going in the bathrooms. And it's amazing how a lot of these young boys, they're a girl when it's time to walk into the bathroom, but they miraculously become a boy when they're in the bathroom and girls, are, real girls are using the bathroom and you have them taking videos and all this other craziness. So in the state of Florida, we had this bill passed, um, and right now I'm not sure if the governor's going to sign it today or next week or whatever, but it's slated to be put in force in July, July the 1st as well, where the restrooms, you cannot just go into a restroom that is not assigned to you by gender at birth. You, you know, based off your chromosome outlay, they put a very large write-up in it, but based off your chromosome outlay and your, um, your, your appendages that you have on your body and everything else, they said at birth, you must have that in order for you to go into those restrooms or you will have repercussions held against you. And so these types of things are things that we're fighting for. So because one of the things I will say as I hand it back over is it's more important what we're fighting for than what we're fighting against. Most people can argue against and share with you why something's wrong, but this is something for, your, for, for the audience and everyone. Can you stand for what you for? Can you stand for what's right? Can you help to make things or get things to go right? To me, that's what champions in a real great nation is made of, people who can go and help to correct that which is broken. You know, it's funny because state after state, we're all going after the dollar following the child, not the child following the dollar. And we just yes. recently passed that here. And it took us, I think, something like six or eight years here to finally get it passed in South Carolina. And thank God we did. And the money now follows the child. And they were trying mm-hmm. to say it was unconstitutional according to our state constitution. However, the money is not going directly from the state to wherever the parent dictates. The money is then given to the parent who then allots it into whatever 
type of education they want their child to go, whether it is homeschooling, charter schooling, uh, mm-hmm. classical Christian schooling. So now the, the parent then says, all right, fine, you're giving me the money. Now I'm saying the money is going here. So that way yes. they remain constitutional. So state by state, we're working these little problems out. And I think there's now, if, if I am correct or not, I believe it's 13 states that have now implemented some sort of you know, education savings account or where the money follows the child, which is highly important. Because now, yes. if a charter school is bad, it's going to fail. If a public school is bad, it's going to fail. But yes. if it's good, it will succeed. And this is called free market economy. And that's mm-hmm. what, that is one of the great gifts that God has given us to show us that, hey, listen, do a little experiment. You know, where, where, do, you, where do you want to place your, your life and your money? That's where mm-hmm. you want to have the good things to have happen. So in his own way, he's guiding us. And yes. let's just hope the rest of the nation follows. Well, you know what? One of the things I love about this um, principle that we're talking about and how we're applying it is simply this. Scripturally, the Bible tells us a very plain point about people. Where a, per, where a person's treasure is, there will their heart be also. Now, once people get can realize that they actually have a treasure, i.e., like this 8,200 here or, or the different amounts in the different states, you find out what, where their hearts are at that time. Most people will actually get to be, if they have a heart for that child, they're going to think, now I have the money to do what I always wanted to do, and now I'm going to do what's best for my kids. Because a lot of times, and, I, you know, having have gone through the times of financial trouble and all that, there are things you wanted to do but you couldn't. I do like mm-hmm. the fact that right now you have people who, had, who, for the most part, felt like they were trapped. They have one to who knows how many kids, but now they have the economic strength to aim that child where that child needs to be. And the thing about it is I think it's more, and even though I know what you're saying is right, I I, I think I like to say it a little bit more like this. Instead of it being a citation against the public or private or church school, it's an affirmation for a person's love of that child that they have responsibility for. And it's an affirmation of the future of our people and of our nation going in the direction where it's supposed to as these kids are taken from things that destroy them and put into things that build them up. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It will also be a reaffirmation of moral values because when the heart of America speaks, it will be the heart of moral values, good Christian Judeo values. So then at this point, they're going to see this CRT, the transgenderism, the overt sexuality and grooming of preschool children on up by the education system will suddenly be something that is not favorable. And what will become more favorable is the true heart of America. Why yes. are there are now a plethora of new films coming out of Hollywood that are faith-based? Because the heart mm-hmm. of America is starting to speak. It's beating. And it's not yeah. going to be stopped. Yeah, and I, I love that, you know, like um, we personally did a little bit with uh, MovieGuy.org out of Hollywood. That's one of the last major faith organizations standing that does um, – 
the uh, um, reviews of the films, and they still send it to them for faith and family-friendly films, that type of content. And, you know, when you look and you see the numbers, and this is a wild thing. Uh, Dr. Ted Bear, he was, he's the guy over that and his son, Robbie. Um, when you look and you see the numbers, financially, you know you lose money to put cursing in movies? You lose money to, when you put the sex scenes and nudity in movies? They, there's, the numbers actually follow the higher your Christian and conservative, your clean content, your family-friendly content, the higher your family-friendly content, the more money, exponentially almost, you make. It's, it's such a stark difference in the amount of money that a family-friendly and Christian and, and a conservative-based movie, when you have those values in them, it's astounding the difference in finances. But there was somebody trying to push a narrative. And that narrative, like how you were just um, saying, speaking against um, CRT, critical race theory, and those types of things, it, there were people that were trying to push it. Now, I will say this here. There is another one that right now for our nation is a big fight in education, and that's the social-emotional learning. What has happened for us, or SEL, what has happened for us right now is a lot of our states, like the state of Florida and a good amount of other ones, have been putting in and fighting against CRT, critical race theory, and put some laws into place concerning that. But right now, one of our biggest beasts that we have to fight is social-emotional learning. What happened was you had a, a, a program that is a kind of an old program, but it got hijacked at least six to ten years ago. And so what's happened since then, this program, social-emotional learning, is uh, it's like a, a thought child for helping to reprogram our kids. So what happens is federal dollars go into the schools. Because I don't know if you, I mean, I don't know how much you, you have seen some of the numbers, but our schools, our public school systems went through kind of a boon of money through, um, from the COVID money that was released. But one of the earmarks, if you go to the uh, website for Casil, uh, they pronounce it Castle, but it's C-A-S-E-L. If you go there, you actually find out that that money comes with a directive to utilize their program um, for implement SEL inside of the schools. And that no, thing exactly what is what is, what is what is exactly because this is the first time I've ever heard of it. SEL, social emotional mm-hmm. learning. Okay, social emotional learning. What that is is it's a pro, it was supposed to be a program where we had kids that were coming out that were either socially inept or they had um, emotional setbacks, you know, just traumatized, uh, broken family and all of that type of stuff. And you had it was a, it was a, I believe personally the original intent was bona fide and good. It was to help these kids to process into society, if you will, to to actually be able to come and peaceably go into the school settings, grow, learn, and become uh, productive citizens of the United States. But what ended up happening is we, if you go through the write-ups of what the schools are being fed through CASIL, which is an oversight group, when you go through 
but they have their system that SEL is, is pushing says, you're, why do you believe that you need to submit to the authority structure that you now have? And they say, why is it that you submit, you have your parental structure? Why are you having the a structure to the people that you, you normally submit to, whether it's police officers or whatever? And then they'll turn around and say, why is it right to do this, to submit to these and not to these? Where you might have your drag dancer or you may have your, you know, your drag queen or you may, I'm not joking about this, I'm serious. And you may have um, some other person that you have that normally society or you as a Christian would say, baby, stay away from them. They're, those people are going to take you in the wrong direction. And they're like, they make the children start to question, why do I submit to this authority structure and not to that? Why do I befriend this one and not that? Aren't they people? Don't they have a right to be heard? Shouldn't you listen to both sides of the argument before you make up your final decision on who you're going to believe? And by the way, who told you that you were a boy? Who told you that you were a girl? You're supposed to, that is your choice. That is your decision because whatever you decide is based off of what you really are, not what you were assigned. These so in other words, these, go ahead. in other words, they're, they're, they're taking away any true authority or ability of a parent or someone of authority to be able to control an environment so a child can grow up safely and learn uh, the values of their community and of their family and of their church or faith system. No, no, the child no longer has any constraint. So anything the child wants, whether it be good or bad for that child, is perfectly fine. Yes. So what you're talking about is a child's being raised up to be a complete anarchist. And you got it. And and part of this whole concept, and this is I know we don't have time for me to get into all this here kind of stuff, but just oh, yes, um, we do. Go gonna, ahead. Keep on coming. <laughs> okay. I was at a meeting a couple of weeks ago and this was all for um um conservative school board members, right? And it's like I was at the meeting and one of the things they highlighted about um this SEL <laughs> is that it's also a dollar game. What starts to happen is as this is introduced, the kids could actually be assigned, um, um, what is it called? It's like they had a psychiatric problem. What happens is they'll be under analysis every year of their life through the SEL program. And if there is, ever a check mark that says that this kid has had a psychological problem it i mean come on tomboy could be a psychological problem it just depends on the writers of the program but what happens mm-hmm. is they if they can assign that kid that nomenclature that they 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 have a clinical issue that will follow that kid for the rest of their life it'll be on their books and what's been touted is that we could end up having kids who's because they will now be underneath uh, in the in the system a governmental system that they had a clinical problem mentally or or emotionally that 
the clin- whoever has control of those clinical records could literally overturn um, decisions that these kids are going to make, uh, meaning they would literally almost be like a, what is it called? What is it that we call um, the state. A a ward of the state. state. That's the concept. That was the concept. I, I forgot that word, but that was it. They actually, it's a back door into becoming wards of the state. And we were like, and these were government officials that were telling us how dangerous it is. And, I mean, I've read the things, but I did not even catch that part until they were at the meeting explaining it to us. And so right now, for right now, one of the big fights that we'll have um, bill making um, going into next year is going to be SEL. Um, And even here in the state of Florida, just check your school system and watch and look and see if they have embraced SEL. They want that federal money. They're going to embrace it. And so what happened here in Florida, I think the last time I checked, we only had maybe three three to five counties out of 67 county school districts that had not listed themselves as an SEL district. CRT is banned in the state of Florida. In one uh, recommendation on our books, that in the same recommendation in our books that banned CRT, it also banned SEL inside of our books. But because of the federal dollars, they had they created a back door where they were going to push SEL anyway. And if that's happening that's here, I mean, there's a good chance that it's happening in a lot of other places. Yeah, now, if you think about that, if the child then becomes a permanent ward of the state all the way through adulthood, Mm -hmm. that means that any monies going their way, be it federal or privately earned, can then be then under the control of whoever is administering the ward of the state. There's a lot of money throughout the lifetime of that individual that could fall into the hands of nefarious individuals, but because it's a government program and it's for your own good because you're damaged goods, don't you know that? Exactly. And because you're damaged goods, you must now bow at the altar of government because now we control your lives. But hello, isn't this exactly what communism is? The complete yes, control ma'am. of your life. Yes. Yes, you know, even down to it's sort of funny, you know, when you say communism, right? You know, what you remember one of um, Hillary Clinton's thing about um, it takes a village to raise a child, right? Yeah, she was and a village idiot. About, <laughs> yeah, 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 village That's funny. And then you know they talk about community, right? If you actually look up what that word community is, it you can act, you can track it back to a socialistic society. I know I was reading the etymology. I'm one of those people who like to go back into the history of words. And I'm like, you know, when I start looking at this village mindset, and I'm talking about just like how they say it takes a village, the truth is it doesn't take a village to raise a child, but it does take a good family. You have a household you have those good guardians, people who care and love and nurture that life. But it, didn't, it doesn't take a village to raise the child. Your village may come together to defend the city or to, to divert, defend your territory. Okay, I may grant you that. But that child 
needed that one-on-one attention, attention and nurturing. I mean, come on, a baby's being nursed. Are you going to be switching around to mama after mama after mama after mama? No, that baby's going to stay with their mama, and they're going to be nursed by their mama. And that mama and that daddy raise up that child in the way that they should go. And that's a part of the paradigm. That actually is a contradiction of the biblical paradigm. It's the responsibility of those parents to raise up that child in the way that they should go. Community. But isn't, isn't, isn't the whole point of this, the whole point of what they're doing is to destroy the family structure. That's yes, the whole indeed. point. You can start back all the way back with LBJ and the great experiment. Destroy yes. the family structure. You then control the child. You then control society from that child forward. And that is what the whole purpose is, to yes. divulge it. To, to degrade us to the point where we are purely a communist nation, where you now have a dictator turning around and telling everyone else how they can or cannot live their lives. And then mm-hmm. you have the child informing on the parent or on yeah. their fellow sibling or on their neighbor. So no one is safe and everyone is an enemy of their neighbor. That's the point. Yeah. You know, I was asked this here a couple, uh, few days ago, and I and I, I had a thought, and I shared it with him. I want to share it with you. It was a pretty interesting one, and now it starts off crazy, but I'll, it'll make sense in a second. The question was crazy. It was like, Demencio, what do you think about women women voting? You hear me? This was a crazy one to me. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, What are you talking about? And they were like, What do you think? You know, since women were voting, you know, we've had all of these issues hit. Do you really think it got better? And I was like, and, you know, most of the guys that were there when we got asked this question, uh, it, they were like, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole, man. I got to go home tonight, right? And so, and so <laughs> I looked and I said, well, tell you what, I'll take a shot at it, but I'm not going to hit it the way you think. And they looked at me and I said, they said, I said, you, you, you want to go on the ride? They said, yeah, and I'm going to share with you the ride, and it's going to go back to family. What happened, I said, Think of it like this here instead. Back around the late 30s, going into the 40s, when we had World War II, women really and truly had to work, and they entered the workforce in droves. It was, I mm-hmm. mean, the men are fighting. you got to have this, you got to have everything taken care of. And what happens is you have all of these women that are now in this workforce, and you have Roosevelt have one of the most, the biggest, most evil epiphanies, one of the, I don't know if you call it the best evil, but it was one of the greatest, most evil epiphanies of ever I ever heard of, and it was his pushing and, and, and development of the union system. Yes. The union, the workers' union. Now, mm-hmm. when he's pushing this, our most vulnerable adult portion of society is is our women have just come into the workforce. They're coming there. You have X amount of men left. Most of the men are gone, and they need protection. They need this. You've had, you've already come out of a time where all of this industrialization of the of, a, of the United States and the world, and you had all of the kids um, dying in these here into in the um, factories and all this stuff. And then you have something that seems like. I'm I'm the government and I'm here to help you. And oh, yeah. now you have the union is the representative of a democratic 
president that's here to solve the problem and protect all of these women from what ails them, um, wrong um, pain, you know, low pain, low wages, bad work environment, and what have you. And so I looked and I said, you know, even if you look and said that a lot of women voted Democrat, which is actually against what they, they, most women would be for with their families and that type of stuff, if you look and you see what helped to establish it, you had women getting a help during a very hard time, and that created goodwill towards the Democratic Party, towards unions. During the t- it just created the, it was the right time and the right plan. And so you ended up, if you will, enslaving people to a system, the Democrats group, the Democrats on part of the political forum, as well as the union uh, concept, you ended up enslaving them. Oh, did we just lose Demencio? Yeah, he just dropped off. Uh, Curtis, we just lost him. I'm sure he'll try to Curtis? call right back. Well, I hope so. Yeah, you... I do hope so. He, yeah, he just dropped off. Yeah. But, you He'll know, we, we, he, he is correct. The unions, we really honestly did not need unions to that point because there were laws and regulations in place that protected the work environment. And I'm sorry, if the boss came up behind me and started to slap me on my tushy and I had a wrench in my hand, that wrench is going to go right across his knees. That's going to stop him right then and there. But no, no, no you're, 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 ladies, you can't defend yourself. The idea was taught to us we could not defend ourselves, therefore we needed a defender. Yeah, I'm sorry. You were in the house and the husband defended you. So now we're going to take the place of your husband and be your, your, your great defender, your great protector. And it was a line of bullshit. Pardon my language, guys. You know I normally don't curse. But it was a line of BS that they handed these women. Thus was born the major unionization of, of the largest group of employees possible. And, but if you think about this, Curtis, in, an, in the normal household, you had the husband that went worked and earned the money and brought it in and yet kept the discipline in the house, but the woman was the one that taught and raised the children. And it was their belief, the woman's belief and, and faith in everything that was instilled in that child. So the child needs both the mother and father. They need them both. But they be, both also need them to work in concert together for the the best True. output possible for that child. And so, faith in family is what they need to destroy in order to destroy our families. So I'm, I'm sorry, I said think, that backwards. It, they need to destroy yeah. faith in family in order to control us. So what do you think of this social-emotional learning stuff they got going well, on now? I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I have the first time I have heard about this, and I'm definitely going to be bringing it forward, you know, with my school board and my school board member and say, all right, what is the story about this? Is it in our school system and how extensive is it? And are these children now becoming wards of the state for the rest of their lives? You're going to hear, you know, the, the, the no, 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 no. But this, folks, is why elections are important. The local elections is the grassroots of everything. If we don't know about this going on in our school system, how can we protect our children and bring them up to be protective members of our society and and have a great and fantastic life, a productive life, if we cannot protect them from something like this? If we cannot protect them from the LBGT 
indoctrination, if we cannot protect them from CRT, from the ESGs, and now there's SEL and the alphabet soup of everything they're going to throw at us and our kids. We've got to start with the school board. And it looks like Demencio is back, and he stopped right smack in the middle of a rant. So let's get him back. Oh, there he goes again. He's got a problem with his phone, yeah. Curtis. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I Maybe would say he... that the, um, the, the left never gives up. They do not give up. When you think you got them down, they're coming at you again with something else. Emotional, social. What do you say? Social, emotional learning. Right, wow. right, right. And that 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 the heck is a is a big is a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Now I don't have his phone number, so I don't know if you want to try to call him back in. Uh, I don't yeah, think I, do. I wrote it down when I. Yes, you can call uh, him uh, back in because this is this is a subject that I I not have ever heard before, and I would like to talk some more about it because, uh, hey, every assault that is upon our children is assault upon us too. And I did copy yeah, his phone number down so. Okay. Anyway, um, wow, that's that's a lot to absorb, and it, this this really has me a little bit flabbergasted because I've never heard of anything like this before. Emotional social learning, and it's t- tying into our federal dollars. Uh, it's amazing the different things that people will come up with in which to brainwash our children and everything. It's it is amazing on what they will come up with. But uh, we're looking at our clock. We've got about maybe another 45 minutes uh, left on the, uh, on the show. So hopefully we'll have Demencio come back on. Uh, while we're waiting for him, there is something that's funny. Just a little bit of a distraction here. Someone sent this over to me, and I was cracking up. And it was titled Biden's UFO. And a friend of the show, Paul, had sent it to me. And he writes, Dear Anne Marie, America, we have a problem. And it all stems from Biden's disastrous presidency, from ignoring our faltering economy to pushing woke transgender policies, to saddling our military with DEI instead of military readiness, that is sacrificing our national security and attempts to indoctrinate our children. It's no secret that Biden's wacky policies are out of this world. So in honor, in honor of National Space Day, so now, November, I'm sorry, May 5th is not just Cinco de Mayo, for those who are completely unaware. Today is National Space Day. What they want us to do, they need our help to send Grandpa Joe and his disaster of a presidency to the moon where he belongs. I love it. I love it. The sense of humor of people that that send me messages. (laughs) So... We have National Space Day, so let's send creepy Uncle Joe and his policies of this administration to the moon where he belongs. And it looks like we got Demencio back on board. Demencio, are you with us now? Because you dropped off and you were in the middle of a fantastic rant. Yeah, hey, and uh, forgive me for that, but I was in there talking to you about, oh, yeah, FDR. Well, when you look at FDR, the whole concept of what was going on with FDR, he had a brilliant plan that I, I think it's literally enslaved our nation or brought about where we are 100 years later. You have all of these ladies, or 80 years later, you have all of these ladies, all of these people that got entrenched during the whole um, workers' union time, and then now you look and you say, well, why are so many people voting the same way as they were 
they've developed trust. They develop reliance. And it's hard to turn on somebody that you love, that you that you thought cared for you. And that is one of the blessings that that ladies have. They can put up with a lot of junk. And you and it's one of the bangs at times the ladies have that they can put up with a lot of junk. And really when you look and you see our nation right now, I believe that right now we have ladies, men, of different ethnicities, different people are awakening to the fact that this not only is not working, it's destroying them. And I truly yeah. believe that, yeah, I truly believe that because they're waking up, the key now is while their eyes are open, while they're knocking off the grogginess, what shall we, what's the message? What is the thing that we need to share with them now so that they won't go from sleep to hopelessness? But they actually realized the only problem was that I was asleep at the wheel. The only problem was that I was trusting somebody who wasn't trustworthy. The only Now that I see what's going on, all we have to do is activate, join together, and we can take back the nation because the nation doesn't belong to a politician. They're no. just momentary governors. We, the people of this union, establish not a few political pundits or political powers, not a few wealthy people who, who scammed everybody and got, became billionaires off of green, green products or green services or whatever their, their shtick is. We have a chance right now to turn everything around and wake up and then activate and take back what's ours. And we can do it without bullets. Yes. We must At the ballot box. Yes. We must do it with our mouths. We must do it with our actions. We can do it with our money. We can do it with taking our children from what destroys to what brings life. We can do it. We got to just come together, believe, and step towards the goals, the goals of restoring our lives. And I, if you want another nugget, I'll hit you with another one. You ready? We have, we have this whole thing, like, it's one of those things, and this is one of the things that always, it bothered me back in the 80s and the 70s when I saw it, and it's just, it was just a terrible thing. Remember when everyone was beginning to think that Walmart was a salvation for us? Walmart oh, yeah. was coming in, coming to town, and wow, now everything that we want, everything that we could buy is going to be the cheapest it could possibly be. It's going to be the best buy it could possibly be at Walmart. Yeah, Wally World. It is, yeah, and you know, it was interesting. I always remember watching, I was the guy that would watch the little commentaries of the local business owners that were getting put out of uh, business by this big monopoly that was being formed and backed by the government and backed by a bunch of money. And, I, and you know, you listen to them and they tell you, they'd warn. they say, once we're gone, you're going to want us back. We're your yeah. neighbors. We're your friends. We, we, our children go to school with your children. We're not some mega, mega company. We are, we are the people that care about what happens to you. You got to care about what happens to us. But we let them go by the wayside, and that was when they told us the stuff like it's like dinosaurs, you know. You can't cope. You get to go extinct. 
But now look at what's happened. I still remember in 2000, I went down to, my wife and I, we had came up with this invention. We, we went to um, uh, Bentonville, and we were in Bentonville listening to Walmart, the company that says, buy America, build America, right? They were all pro-America. Mm-hmm. We're sitting mm-hmm. in here. With our American concept, you know, I know it came from God, but I'm just, I'm from America, right? We got this American concept. We got this American idea. We're coming. We're ready to make some, make some good money. We're, we're, we're in here. And they say, you need to go get it made in China. Yep. Yep. Now, uh-huh. yep. Yep. It, now <laughs> if we had kept our neighbors in business, they would have kept our children working, and also they would have kept our community, the resources flowing in our community, and the community, you know how, you can tell how strong a nation or community is and how, uh, how fast the funds leave it versus how fast the funds are generated within it or come into it. They kept to sustain the economy of the, the smaller community. But when you had something like Walmart, they were funneling the money. You're here to do business, and it was being funneled out of the United States to China. They literally tell you. And yes, here we yes. are. We're wondering what happened to America. We well, forgot let's, let's take what it, made us strong. Go ahead. Forgive me. Go ahead. Let's, let's, let's take it even a step further than that, because mm-hmm. they use the pandemic to stress their argument and their need. Because you notice yeah. the big box stores stayed open. Mom and pop yeah. closed. Yeah. All the mom and pops were forced to close. Big box stayed open. And if you couldn't get it at the big box store, because they would say, all right, fine, you have to go in this one door and out the other and so many people at a time. And like little sheeple, we did it. So if mm-hmm. you don't want to deal with the Wally worlds of the world, you can go on Amazon. But where is yeah. Amazon getting their goods from? Yeah. China. And now yeah. Amazon has gotten so slick. It used to be they would tell you where the manufacturing was from. You go onto Amazon now and you try to find out where something's manufactured from, and you can't. Mm-hmm. So by the time the product hits your front door and you open that Amazon Prime box, and you'll see on the back, made in China. Yeah. I dare you to go into a Walmart and look at any item, clothing, merchandise, whatever, that does not have some connection to China. And where's the vast amount of, of our pharmaceuticals coming from? Yeah. China. Now, yeah. we're medically dependent upon China for our medications, and China's starting to cut off the tap. We're going to be in problems real soon, folks, unless we wake up and realize the problem that China is causing us. And your kids turning on TikTok? Mm-hmm. I'm oh, sorry. Man. That's about the time you should take this smart device away and crush it under your heel. I agree with you. Going on a rant here. Uh, no, no, I agree with you 100%. I still remember there was a. I'm also a. I'm a. I'm a thermodynamicist. I'm an engineer. So it's like I. 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 I, I tinker. Okay. And it's like once I was tinkering. This is back in the 2000s again. I was tinkering with another invention, and I needed to have a specialty magnet made. Okay. I'm in the United States of America. I need a specialty magnet made for my for my concept. Right. At that time, I ended up finding out that there were only two companies left in the United States of America that could do it. The one, I'm talking magnets. You cannot produce power with 
out magnet. You have to have you have to have a large resource. You have to have the technology to produce your own power. And the major, um, one of the major components of it is magnets. Well, here I am. I'm trying to get this here. And because, you know, you just go to the store and you normally just think I pick up a magnet. Well, I need a specialty one. I sat on mm-hmm. the phone for like two hours with an older gentleman who explained to me, I'm not sure if I think he was from Wyoming or something like that, and he was explaining to me how from the 90s going forward, China had been buying up all interest in these things that cause you to be able to make power. It's yeah. just so like how they yeah. started gobbling up rare, rare earth minerals. It's like it's that yes. same concept. And I was like, there were two left, and I was just going to, he just said, hey, just come up here. Um, we'll just, now, this is an American talking to an American, just Country boys just talking. He said, well, just come on up, and I'll, I'll make sure our company makes it for you. But he said, right now, if we go, there's no more of us here. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it really made me understand this whole global mindset. Now, I'm not sure where everybody stands, but I like President Trump. I really do. And his whole thing about make America great again, I've always said this is a great thing because if you lose this nation, you've lost. There's no other place to run to. Right now, America's the last man standing, if you will. And so it's like when I look and I, I, I look at what, what's going on, we have to become producers again in the United States of America. And I, exactly. and I had a fresh thought that I thought would, that really got me to think differently. I, I'm one of those guys that love to work with young people, love to work. I mean, I've been working with young people since I was a kid. And it's like I, it's like I always love it. And then I started thinking a new thought. A lot of people have looked at the young people and thought, man, these lazy people, man, they don't want to stick around and do this here. Man, they all want to own their own thing. Man, they want – and you know what? I started to have a new paradigm on that and said, what if this is the solution and not the problem? Bear with me for one second. We mm-hmm. have lost our control of the outcome of industry, of technology. It's become a global thing. But we have young people who pretty much are like, I, I want to own my own stuff. I don't want. I don't care what y'all say. I don't. I'm not buying into this whole um, um, cog in the wheel. I want to own my own wheel. I, I don't want to be a cog. Just for a second, yes. I know they have learning curves, but beyond that, just the concept that we should own our own. We shouldn't just take the concept that the only way to make it is to work inside of just a mega entity, and then that's where you're going to find your happiness. You actually can own your own thing, have time for yourself, time for your family, and, you know, be, you know have resources and all this stuff. I, I, I just started to rethink with some tweaking to get some of the things that are wrong out of there. The main thought is not a bad thought. No, it's which proves one, one major thing, though. You just proved something, that American ingenuity and independence is not dead. We just need to find it and encourage it. 
Yes, we do. I agree with you 100%. And I, I am very hopeful for our nation, I'm very hopeful for our people. I'm hopeful for our young people because the more young people I meet, I mean, like this past week I was sitting down with one, and she was, like, she was just telling me about the different things that she, they were doing in music and, and, and different things. But it's just like that she's, she's working and doing all this stuff in music that's doing very well. And then she turns right back around and she's working a regular job on top of um, um, being a part of her ministry and I'm just like her, her church. And I'm just like, yes, there are, there, there, there's definitely some good kids in this world and they're worth fighting for. And that's the whole thing. We have to find them and help them, nurture them, and help them fight for what's right. Yes, I mean, ma'am. we can serve by example, but also we have allowed ourselves to slip down the slippery slope. And we've got to admit we've done something wrong here in our society. We need to bring it back. You had mentioned FDR, and one of the major problems we had post-World War II is that FDR was the savior of the nation because he brought us through World War II. Mm-hmm. Instead of looking at all the things he did in order to get us forward, we closed our eyes to that. We yes, definitely we closed our eyes to the harm he did do. And now we're yeah. picking up the pieces decades later, and we've got a long way to go. And like you said, we need to ask. And like I like you, I love Trump. But we also mm-hmm. have a lot of other people. This new guy, Vivek Ramswamy, there's yes. other, other voices out there. Don't close your ears. Listen, right. because I don't think he's ready yet. But maybe in another four years, this guy Vivek will be ready. So yeah. we 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 know the good we can get, and what we have to do is look person by person. What is the good they can do for us? What is their truth behind them? Do they truly have our, our goodwill in hand? There's others yeah. out there that are just doing it for power. Those are doing it for ego. We have to weed them out and find what the truth is and vote the truth. I agree with you 100%. And what you said is like, even with President Trump, I really like the guy. I, I just think that it's just like in, in anything, we need the right person for that season. And so for me, what I've been telling people is right now, we don't need Trump 2016 and we don't need Trump 2020. But I do believe we do need Trump 2024, that version, the one that was that was created for that moment in time is the one that we need now. And unlike it was in 2016, when literally we, we, most of our conservative and Christian voices were very weak. He was like, he was just like this big sounding, sounding bell and gong. Right now, like you said, like Ramswamy, um, of course, you know, you have our, our different governors like here in South Dakota. You got different places where you have, um, I believe it was Virginia has some, some good folks too, don't they? And it's like I started, you start to listen and you got more voices now. You have, if there's a, there's a groundswell of people that you just hadn't really thought about or didn't know about, and they're coming up and they're taking a stand, not to mention on the grassroots level. So right now, it's everybody, all hands on deck, and I do believe we shouldn't close our eyes to who's up and coming, but we should be thinking forward thinking, yeah, okay, 2024, but I love what you were saying, okay, 2028, 
20, I mean, 2032, 20, you know, we have to, it's, it took a long time to get here, and it's going to take some time to get things right, especially with the rest of the world where it is. Yeah, we, we must, have to play the uh, long game. We have to yeah. play the long game. The left does that, yeah, love, we have to learn how to do that. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, I love what you're doing with the youth in your community, and hopefully this will spread throughout Florida and the rest of the country. Because in today's environment that these, these youths are being raised in, there's little little love for and respect for life, um, mm-hmm. little respect for our neighbors and adults and God and country. I mean, how are we going to um, defend our country if the, the, the children these of, of this time and age are taught to hate their country? Right. You know? And I mean, just look at the urban cities right now. They're out of control. We have children killing children and children killing adults. And you got mm-hmm. drugs and you just got poor educational institutions there. And, you know, it's just a, a mess. And I think, of course, this is part of the, the grand design to break down this republic so they can rebuild it um, in a socialist uh, mindset. So we have right. to continue this fight, and we got to stay positive. I, I come across too many on our side that are negative and and pessimistic, and you, you don't win battles like that. Correct. No, but this is, is where correct. this is where dementia. Where we have to take the education system back first and foremost. And unless yes. we have the basis to rebuild our society, we're not going to win. So we can win the hearts and minds of those of us already out there voting. But that's a hard fight. Let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to the education system and start rebuilding with those blocks there. So once we have the foundation with those blocks, we can move a nation forward. It'll take us longer, but we'll have a better end result, won't we? Yes, we will. And I will say this here. Now, this one may not be in my most popular statement, but I don't care. This is a great statement. <laughs> when, you, <laughs> when you look and you see what's really going, what's happened to us, I really believe we're going to have to, to take back the reins of everything that really has happened to us with our families and with our children, with our education. We need to, as a nation, undo this whole thing that made us have to have a two-parent income for our households to survive. Yes. We must end that. I had, I had college students. They came to me the other day, um, some from my own church, and it was like, they're like, you know, hey, Pastor, you know, we have to hold down. There's the reason, you know, a lot of people poke fun at college students and say lazy whatever uh, because they're still at home. And But the students, they, well, the, the, the students or the graduates, they said, you know, when we're coming out, you got to hold down at least two, maybe three jobs, even while you're, if, whether you're in school or not, just so you – can afford a place, not even talking about, this is rental. They're not even talking about so that you can buy a home. And so they're like, you know, when you look at us and it costs so much just to live, that's one of the main reasons it's so hard to leave home. That type of stuff, and then we say that we need to have our children raised better. Okay, if mama has to work one, two, three jobs, daddy has to, I'm talking about even in married homes, have to work one, two, three jobs, except for the few that make, you know, so many hundreds of thousands or more. 
what do we end up have what we end up having is inside of caring families you'll have neglect of the children inside of caring loving christian families you'll have ineptitude you'll have a system whereby you cannot win and that's one thing i always like to analyze i like to analyze a game i like to analyze a system is it winnable I'm like Captain Kirk. We're going to change this thing, and we're going to win, because we are not going to be in a losing scenario. You understand? Uh, uh, Demencio, uh, we got our next guest in on the line. Uh, where can people find you if they want to contact you? Is there someone that they can reach out to you? Yes, you can. Um, you can contact me through our ministry, www.waoministries.org. That's www.waoministries.org. If you're in the Central Florida area, um, you can go to OCREC, Orange County Republican Executive Committee, and the website for there, and you can um, – I'll be writing there my little picture on uh, the Education Committee chair. Hi. Well, right. we welcome you back on this show in the near future, Demencia. Thank you, and God bless you for the hard work you do, sir. Thank you so much, and the same. I really enjoyed it. This was a blessing, and, again, thank you for your grace with the, uh, this, the the technology stuff, okay? <laughs> no problem. All right. All right. Take care. All right. Thank Demencio you. Barton. All right. Check take care. Out. We've got our, our final victim in on the show today, and um, I had not realized I had watched the movie when it first came out, so I watched it again last night and go, I remember that. So I want to welcome onto the show, and I'm half Italian, and I know I'm going to butcher this anyway, but James D. Eugenio. Did I get it correctly, James? Oh, wait, wait, I didn't unmute him. I thought I unmuted him. Oh, I talk about technology. Oops, there we go. <laughs> Try it again, James. <laughs> right, so I you, you watched the documentary? The yes, I did. It was actually the second time I watched it. Okay, great, great. Yeah. Um, having remembered that day that uh, JFK was shot, uh, now I date myself, um, it's always been something I have followed throughout the years, uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but when things have started to unwind, it's left a lot of questions in a lot of minds, and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper the more things are revealed. Uh, but you are the, were the scriptwriter for uh, Oliver Stone's documentary, JFK Revisited, which came out, I believe, 2021, correct? Yes. Yeah. So now, recently... There were over 13,000 more documents that were released on the JFK assassination. But was there anything of substance in these new documents, or was it just more blank pages? <laughs> well, okay. The, yes, there, there actually was some interesting stuff that came out. And I think one of the things that um, we should inform your readers about is that Way back in 2017, which is six years ago, all of these documents were supposed to have been declassified in toto, that is, without what we call redactions. Redactions mm -hmm. are when the CIA or the FBI says, we have to black out this sentence or we have to black out this paragraph. This was all supposed to be declassified completely in 2017. And we're right. still fighting with the executive intelligence agencies to this day 
to try and get, I think the last count I saw was there's 14,500 documents, okay, that are still not declassified in total, that is, without redactions, all right? And so the question becomes, why are, the guy was killed 60 years ago. So why are they still, you know, keeping this stuff secret? Now, your your previous question, the film, in the film, there's actually two versions of the film. There's a two-hour version, JFK Revisited, and there's a four-hour version, JFK Destiny Betrayed. All right. We tried to present to the public a lot of this more interesting stuff that was found out because of the declassification of these documents, all right? Um, for example, one of the things I think that was so interesting is that everybody knows what the magic bullet is, right? All right? And that was supposed to have gone through JFK, Conley, all right, smashed seven, seven times. two bones. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Make right now, angles, left angles. the FBI yeah. said that they had shown this bullet, CE-399, to the initial witnesses who found it at Parkland Hospital. Well, a couple of people got together, Gary Aguilar and uh, Josiah Thompson, and they said, why isn't there any report that says that? I mean, if, if... if an FBI agent goes and visits witnesses, he's supposed to write a summary of the report. You know, and, well, where is it if he did this, all right? And so they decided to get in contact with the FBI agent who was supposed to have done this. And when they did, he's the guy said, I never did any such thing. I never showed that bullet to anybody down there in Texas. And if I would have, I would have written a report. All right. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the FBI lied, you know, in, in its own document about showing. And this, of course, you know, I don't have to tell you all the controversy that is <laughs> that's raged over the years over CE399. You know, it, 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 to me, it's probably the weakest part of the Warren Commission. All right. And so here we have more evidence declassified that shows that the FBI lied about this document rather and, and the exhibit. All right, so that's just one thing. You know, there's, there's another thing, for example, that's in the film, which I think is very powerful. The, there's always been a question as to the horrendous autopsy that President Kennedy received at Bethesda Medical Center the night of the assassination. Ah, the and first one or the many people. <laughs> <laughs> First one, one. <laughs> that's a good one i really like that all right and so uh and so many people watching the zapruder film for example or looking at the pictures of the car are horrified at all the damage you know to kennedy especially due to the headshot and in fact the motorcycle guy on the left side of the car said he got hit with blood and brain tissue so hard that he thought it was hit by a projectile, all right? And so when you look at pictures of Kennedy's brain, though, autopsy pictures and x-rays, it looks like there's almost nothing wrong with it. It's a little bit disrupted, but the mass and volume are all there. Well, when 
the review board, which was responsible for declassifying all these documents, when they interviewed the autopsy photographer, a guy named John Stringer, they showed him these pictures. All right? And he said, and he walks up to the pictures and he says, This is Ansco film. I didn't use Ansco. Yeah. I, I use Kodak. Okay? And then he says, you see these little numbers here at the right corner? See, this means that these were part of a pack. I didn't use a pack. I used a separate folder for each picture. And so the guy goes, the lawyer for the review board says, are you ready to deny that you took these photographs? And he says, if that's hands go, and if that's a picture pack, I didn't take these pictures. Which, of course, leaves the question... Well, who did take the pictures and why? Why did somebody else have to be called in to take the pictures? So these are the kind of things that, that we went after, that the review board declassified, and that the public didn't know very much about. And then we tried to put them in the film. Yeah, it, it, it's an amazing, an amazing film. I watched the shorter version both times. I didn't realize well, I, I should have if I did my homework. Shame on me. I'm slapping myself. Uh, about the four hour, <laughs> which I know I'll definitely go back and do. Uh, but there's so many things that have come up in the investigation uh, that the Warren Commission just kind of like ignored. And yet the Warren Commission was made up of specific people. And when I look at it, it looks like the commission was put there to whitewash it and give the public a nice, neat little package. Uh, and then we watch, we look at what the Warren Commission did, and there comes an individual that weaves himself in and out of the whole investigation throughout all these years by the name of Arlen Specter. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a rather rather famous figure who uh, who uh, was around for a long time through both investigations, the Warren Commission, the House Select Committee, and Oliver Stone's film. Arlen Specter was a Philadelphia attorney, worked in the DA's office, and he was called upon to serve in, on the Warren Commission. <clears throat> His job was essentially what we're talking about, the ballistics and the medical evidence, all right, in this case, which is so questionable. In a recent book by Edward Epstein, he reveals for the first time because um, he asked him, well, how did you decide, and the Warren Commission decide, that this CE-399, the so-called magic bullet, did all this damage and emerged almost unscathed? And this is, this is what Spectre said. It's the first time I've ever seen this. He said, I showed the Zapruder film to the rest of the commission. I showed it in slow motion, almost frame by frame, and I said, either you believe this bullet went ahead and did all this damage, or we have to start looking for a second assassin. And that's what clinched the case, according to Spectre. Do you believe that? I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, he didn't want a second assassin. He did not want the right. idea that there was more than one person involved. Oh, heaven forbid. Right. And yet this bullet went through seven different areas, and it had to let flip itself backwards and forwards and upside down and inside out. Come on, and not have even a single mark on it? Oh, wait a minute. What about and, the bullet they found uh, without a mark on it next to the body? I mean, it came out of nowhere. 
Right. It, it was supposed to have come out. Of, now, this is another very interesting point because originally the commission believed that that bullet was found on Kennedy's stretcher. But it, if Specter's theory was going to hold any water, it had to have been on Connolly's stretcher, right? Okay, because it had to go through Kennedy and then through Connolly. All right. Well, it, it, it turns out, and uh, there's a very interesting discussion of this in Josiah Thompson's book, Six Seconds in Dallas. He did a lot of legwork on this, and guess what? He came to the conclusion it wasn't on either one of those people's stretcher. It was on a, a little boy named Ronnie Fuller, okay, who came into the hospital that very same day, you know, and he came to the conclusion it was found on that one. Now, you, here's, here's the capper to that story. The personnel director at the hospital, okay, who turned that over, O.P. Wright, who turned it over uh, to the Secret Service, his wife was the head of nursing at that same time. Thompson talked to her in, I believe, 1966, and she said, you know what was so funny about that? We were finding bullets all over the hospital that day. <laughs> and so finally I went to say, I said, who's, who's planting all these bullets here? You know? Wow. <laughs> So Jane. in other words, just, in other words they were going to get they were going to get the right stretcher. <laughs> yeah, eventually, James. James, I have two questions yes. for you. One is, um, is it believable that um, George Bush the elder is the only one who cannot account or remember where he was that day when it happened? And number two. Did y'all ever investigate a guy named James Files, who claims that he was the one that took out the la- you know took the last shot to take out Kennedy? Okay, the, the answer to number one is that is that Bush was I researched this. He appears to have been in Tyler, Texas, that day. Okay, and he was doing a Rotary Club address. Okay, I don't believe I've seen the pictures supposedly of him in Dealey Plaza, and I don't think it's him. I I I believe he was in Tyler, Texas that day. All right, that's what I was getting um, at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As far as files, uh, I I don't I don't buy that story because he has uh, a negative alibi. Okay, <laughs> that that he was in a different place that day. I believe in Chicago. Plus the bullet that um, he says is what he used in his, I think, a Remington uh, mm-hmm. carbine. Okay, that the the bullet he says he used was not in use at that time. Okay, it didn't come around till about 1972, if I remember correctly. See, these are these are these kind of things are the things we have to you know delve into because yeah. there's so much cynicism. And so much skepticism about the official story. So the, all these things manage to come to the surface, you know, and, and we have to deal with them, you know, one way or the other, all right, unfortunately. And it takes a lot of time and effort to do so. Now, how long did it take you to do the research for just this script? The, the, the picture, the, the documentary, 
uh, from the time I started writing the original draft of the script, which went through six different drafts, okay, uh, to the time that it was locked down in a final cut was almost three years, all right? Wow. And, but before that, I've been researching this case for a long time, over about three decades, actually, all right? And so what I tried to put into the film and into the script was things that I knew, things that a select few researchers knew, but I knew that the public wasn't aware of, okay? Because, and I firmly believe this, the, the discoveries of, on, in these declassified files and the information put out by the review board that was constructed in order to get this information out, I believe the mass media, the MSM as we call it, you know, did not want to reveal that to the public. And so I said to Oliver, I go, this is the stuff we should be putting in there, you know, that the review board declassified that we can show in documents, that we can interview their employees, et cetera. All right, and so that's the kind of thing that we tried to put into the, into the film. Well, there's so much more to talk about. I'm looking at the clock. We're down to our last five minutes on the show. God, three hours have just flown past today like, like nothing. And it is a fascinating film. And like I said, I've been, I, I remember that day. And I remember as a little kid, as the funeral procession is going through, uh, here we are in our naivety up in New York, staring out the window looking for the hearse in the crowd. Uh, but those things are all part of the fabric of our life and part of our nation. We've got generations that don't even know anything about Kennedy. And yet, a Kennedy is running for president once again. What a time for this film to get put back out there. But we've got to have you back again. Got to talk to Bill and give you more time to talk about this. Is there any project you're working on now that we should be aware of and look forward to? Well, I'm working on a script about the uh, the Ludlow Massacre in Colorado uh, in 1914. Okay, uh, and that's that's an incredible event, also. All right. I, I kind of like doing historical projects. Absolutely. And uh, you're working on the research right now, or are you into the script already? No, no, I, I, I already finished the script. Okay. Wow. Uh, so that's Good. done. It's being, it's being marketed now. And if people want to know more about what you have, where can they find you? Because I found you up on Amazon. Where else can they find you? Oh, my website is kennedysandking.com. You just go there, and we cover all four assassinations of the 60s. Also, I wrote the book that is the complement to the film, okay, which is called JFK Revisited Through the Looking Glass. And in that book, you can find the annotated scripts. So there's sources for everything that we said. And also, there's parts of the interviews that didn't get into the film. And we interviewed a lot of really interesting people, you know, like Henry Lee and John Newman and Jeff Morley, et cetera. So the interviews in there are very, very interesting to, the, to anybody, really. James, Fantastic. You, said, you said four, right? Four assassination were you talking about JFK or Malcolm? No, JFK, Malcolm, King, and RFK. Not Mega Evers, okay. No. 
Well, fantastic. And I'm sorry we ran out of time, James. Going to have to definitely have you back, get a hold of Bill, and have and make sure you come back with more time to give us. Because I know you had a previous interview also, so your time is very precious. We appreciate it. And my grandma would say, he's a nice Italian boy, Annie. You just get a little <laughs> more time. <laughs> we didn't even get into Jack Ruby. Okay, so well, I guess no. we'll have to be back. Then, or no, no, Jack well. Ruby, Valley, the uh, threat assessments. I mean, I can, I can go on and on and on and right. have you on Chicago here for hours. Plot. Right, <laughs> Yes. So, James, God bless you, and thank you, and happy Cinco de Mayo. Have a uh, corona on me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Take care. Take care. James D. Eugenio, and check out this film, um, JFK Revisited, as well as the book up on Amazon. There's a link on the show page that you can go to JFK Revisited on Amazon and get the book and watch the film. film is up on Showtime also. Uh, what a show we had, and we're down to our last three minutes here, Curtis. The show has gone like yeah. nothing today. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad yeah. to have you back. And you will not be with us next week, so let's see next who we week. can get to uh, fill in for your talent. And right. I want to thank everyone that joined us here over on Blog Talk Radio, up also on Facebook, YouTube, and my webpage was fully functional today, along with the chat room over there. Thanks for Sweet Sue, who's been hanging out in the studio also. We love you, hey, too. Thank Sweet you for Sue. joining us. And everyone else. And the so guys will in the be chat back. room. Yep. And right now, uh, I'm crossing my fingers on Judge Jeanine Pirro. I haven't worked on anyone else yet. Uh, so we'll let you know who we got coming up. So I leave you all uh, with yesterday being our National Day of Prayer and today being Cinco de Mayo. But I'm going to leave you with our friend Gary Pecorella and Save America. So until next week, same bat time, same bat station, I say good night and God bless. America, America.